boomers! Libbity-doo! <laughs> Welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast the show on the internet, where we polybag you together with a 1990s so you cannot be perceived by the outside world, and are instead nestled in a nice little nostalgic cocoon of ignorance for the here and now. <laughs> I'm Dave Scoop Bedoyne Bulmer. <laughs> and I'm Chris What Is Your Problem McFeely here with your Mega Sega Cyber Razor Cutsational online guide to when Sonic was good because he was in a UK comic and existed when we were weans. This is issue number 100 and moodily B. God, 100 and moodily B. 100 and moodily B. Can you conceive of it? <laughs> Can't even begin to. Almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. Almost Christmas already. It's almost Christmas, boomers. Hey. <laughs> Things were better, Dave. Stop. Hey, boomers. Look out. This bacon bell's a real sizzler. <laughs> it's Sonic the Comic the Podcast, the show that throws open a copy of the UK's old official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic, and says, Can you believe we've just exited the year that Face Off came out? We're the humans who think we've got a grip on how oh, time works. Like that. That doesn't I'm right Dave Bulmer. Uh, my name is Chris McFeely, as ever. Very perturbed by that. Phase off doesn't feel that long ago. There's a there's a real disconnect in my memory about how those two things line up. No, don't like that. But what I do like is the fact that we've got a guest here with us for this issue. What? Who are you and what are you doing here? Somebody left the back door open. I just kind of wandered in. <laughs> Hello, I'm Rick. I'm currently an inker and colorist for IDW Comics, most notably Sonic the Hedgehog, and I kind Wait. of grew up with something called Sonic the Comic, so that's why I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Let the folks at home know, know what they might specifically know your work from on Sonic and IDW. The most recent thing I've just done was a stint of inking between issues 63 to 66. I did the Tales 30th Anniversary special... I'm currently doing the Fang the Hunter miniseries. Way. Not allowed to call him Knack the Weasel. No. Contractually. <laughs> and the thing that you might know is the IDW Sonic the Hedgehog 900th Adventure mouthful, yeah. in which I got to do a little bit of inking with a couple of buddies on a script by some guy. <laughs> <laughs> As somebody who grew up with STC, I can really only imagine what that must have been like. But I am curious, <laughs> uh, how did you come to Sonic the Comic? Uh, as we ask all our guests, what was your first issue? Where did you begin? It's kind of funny, I can vividly remember this. I don't remember my age, but I know for a fact I was with my nan in a Sainsbury's and I saw the eyes on a cover. And that's how iconic this design is, right? It was on a brown hedgehog and I saw those eyes and I didn't even read the title. I didn't even see the logo. I knew who it was and I just pointed at it and I was like, that's Sonic and I want that. (laughs) And I pestered my nan for the whole trip being like, come on, please, walking around the whole of Sainsbury's and I think it was issue six or eight. Uh, issue issue eight, eight, and it yeah. was that was definitely issue eight because that was yeah. the one cover within Brown. So that was nineteen ninety three. Yeah, that was so. So basically, as soon as the origin started, that's where I was on board. I missed the first few. What a good place to yeah. start! Great first issue. But it's funny because even to this day, I'm like, yeah, he was Brown first. Like, no, I don't care what Sega says. He was Brown first. I saw that. Sega said he was Brown first yeah. back yeah. then. It doesn't matter. That was they made that up. Yeah, doesn't matter what Sega says. No. No more than ever. Except when they first said it, which was right and matters. Now what they say doesn't matter. (laughs) I had a similar argument a couple of months ago because somebody posted up on Twitter the Sonic art style Bible and you see clearly the back shot of him with the spines looking not like the Christmas tree style, but the the other style where they're split in the middle. And people were like, oh, Fleetway got it wrong, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, no. Look at these pictures in that guide. They were going off the official book. That is a biblically accurate Sonic. And I will have no word about it. (laughs) And everybody looked at the pictures in the Bible and went, 
Huh. People are so keen to point to like Christmas tree. Well, well, okay, okay. The Christmas tree thing is a slight Richard Elson affectation. If you look at the style guide, he's not quite so. They don't go out quite so far in the head-on shot. But the rear view, which was something that always kind of puzzled me to look at, even as mm-hmm. a kid, that's pure style guide. As we yeah. have discovered that the bad wrong Sonics we have to look at now in the post one hundred era are pure style guide Sonics from that time period. Yeah. So if you started at eight, how far did you go then as, as a kid? Did you go right the way to the end or did you drop off at some point? I was ride or die up until I think the full reprint era with a gap. Yeah. And a really ironic gap in the in the early issues because I moved house and I missed about two or three. Oh, not too much of a gap then. And it happened to be one of the ones I was in. So I had no idea for years that I was in one. That's right, you were in one, but it's one we've already passed. Yes, not technically Rick's first appearance on the podcast here. No, <laughs> no, which which issue was it? 75? 75, I have it down as. It was another, well, I was about to say it was another February issue. It wasn't, it was April, but it was another Valentine's Day looking special. There's a big picture of Sonic and Amy and it says Sonic Groom on the cover and it's April. So I don't know why it was themed that way. Well, because it was an April Fool. The reason for that is that Sonic and Amy getting married was an April Fool cover. Ha, huh, okay. That's why. I was going to say, sure it wasn't a Valentine's Day special, then they got the dates wrong and it was late, so they had to just come up with a reason for it later. <laughs> and go, yeah, uh, April Fool's, yeah, that's good. Yes, issue number 75, <laughs> the big Pritz stick issue. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good episode. That is a really good episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> Yes, you had your photograph in the speed lines of issue number 75. Photograph? What mm-hmm. photograph? I'm the kid who's holding all the merchandise with the uh, the socks. It's a picture again up next, this time a photograph of a Richard McCann in Liverpool. And it's a photo of him with all his Sonic stuff, as usual. Right, what stuff's he got? Behind him, he's got loads of posters that have been pulled out of yep. uh, STC, or poster mag posters. All sorts of things. He's got the one we really liked, where it's a falling over Christmas tree, yep. and everyone's falling over the place. That's from the Christmas issue there. He's got the Sonic Spinball poster up there, and then down alongside him, he's got all his STCs fanned out. He's got Sonic socks. Yeah, but not wearing them. No, we're not wearing them. Lying on his legs. He's just laid them out. Sonic bubble bath. I'm sure that's a bubble bath container, right? That's the yes. Sonic bubble bath, yes. And a Sonic shirt on him as well. And am I missing anything? What's that? Is that a Sonic school bag off to the right there? Yes, I think it is, isn't it? And off to the left. That's the spinball game box, I think. Oh, yes, so it is. Okay, so here's what's actually funny, right? Like, to tie things full circle, yeah. I just had a Creator Corner spotlight in a issue of IDW, and they asked for a photograph <laughs> to put in there. And given that I didn't have time to take a new one, I was like, you know what, actually, this would be a really good chance to close the circle. So I sent in... Yeah. No, but the thing is, here's the catch, right? Because as you guys know, when you send these photos into the magazine, you don't get them back. Mm. Yeah. So it just so happens I was lucky enough that when I was a kid, my dad took two or three because, you know, you can never tell how they're going to come out. So I have another mm-hmm. photograph from a slightly different angle with a slightly different expression <laughs> of the same shot. Yes! And it's wide. So I have the full, the uncropped director's cut oh, edition of the photo. Sh- so I can see everything else that was in the picture now. And I was like, hey, half of those posters are not in the speed line picture wow and can i we, don't know we, if it was intentional I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw it up for you guys can we can we have a copy of that to put on the twitter and that it's because the copy that idw printed was again it was 
cropped to portrait, so it's quite similar to I the... was going to say, I don't know if that was the editor joking because he knew that it was in Speedland, so he cut it the same way, yeah. and he cropped it the same angle. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, you, like, I gave him the big wide one, and I was like, hey, if you want to use the whole picture, because I know, I, I was thinking of you guys specifically when I sent it in, I was like, you guys will get to see the full panoramic, and, and then he cut it down, I was like, no, like, that's too small, yeah. you've done the same thing again. <laughs> but it's funny because they're both on the same page. The Speedlines one is in the middle of letters, and then in the IDW one, it's on the other page to the letters. So there's kids' pictures, and it's the same thing, like, but just <laughs> 20, 30 years apart. It's so weird. Time is a flat circle. Did you get a Sonic and Knuckles camera? I did. And for the longest time, even as a little kid, I didn't want to take any pictures because I know you have to destroy a disposable camera to take the pictures out. Oh, yeah. Out. Oh, so yeah. I held on to it for a while before I let them develop the pictures. I was like, are the pictures worth losing the camera? Yeah. Mm. Could have carefully removed that little cardboard sleeve from yeah, around it. From around keep it. that. We've got in a drawer somewhere a disposable camera that's still got you know, photos on it. Because where do you, where are we going to get that? So <laughs> where do you, yeah, where do you get that? <laughs> I mean, do you get that? I don't know. Sure, wait. Hmm. <laughs> I, ne- hmm. I never really thought about it. But yeah, that was another thing, right? Because I had no idea I was in the magazine. So about like six months down the line, a camera shows up in the mail and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what an issue to miss. <laughs> right, let's do a comic. Yes, we are here. Joined by Rick for issue number 123 of Sonic the Comic. Cover dated 24th of February 1998, but released on February the 11th, which nominally makes it the Valentine's issue. And so, therefore, the design of this one is of a big heart made out of vines with Sonic looking through, glowering at us. Now, I notice, Chris, I notice my heart growing fonder. And I've worked out why. It's There's a conspicuous absence on the front cover. <laughs> this is a reproduction of uh, an image we're going to see later in the issue. Mm. Uh, but with Amy Rose removed. She was on the next issue page, last issue, yes. Yeah. Amy is supposed to be in the heart with yeah. Sonic there, which is why it's a heart and how they're justifying the Valentine's Day. But the vine thing is because... Uh, it's technically also a tie-in with the last strip in the issue, where Sonic and Amy are fighting some evil vines. Yes. But uh, but no, they've. Uh, I was going to say they've erased Amy from the cover, but more than likely Carl. There's a Carl Flint cover. Yes. So him and his uh, multimedia approach, he's probably just taken the piece of paper with Amy on it yeah. out of the composition and taken two separate photographs, hasn't he? And he's ever so good at cutting out. You can't see the line around it. Long time since a Carl Flint cover, it feels like. We were on a great stretch of, like, Elson and McMahon mm. and Dobbin covers since, like, post-100. I, I think maybe you have to go back to pre-100 to find a, a Carl Flint cover. Gosh. I checked it. Yeah, 93 was oh. Carl Flint's last oh, cover. Right. 30 whole issues ago, over a year ago yeah. since the last Carl Flint cover. Odd from the guy who used to be the cover guy on the comic, but... Yeah. It's been a pretty solid run of Elson and McMahon and Dobbin on the covers since then. Barring the occasion on, you know, CG render or yes. crap painting that tried to look like it was a CG render <laughs> or piece of clip art. There have been a lot of... It's a rich tapestry. And a Nigel tapestry. And now a Carl tapestry. <sighs> but there's a reason Amy's missing from this. Um, apart from the fact, of course, we none of us would purchase a comic with a girl on it. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. No, it's because they need space to write free Sonic keyring and to have a big yellow circle. Free gift missing. Alert your newsagent now. I've got sellotape on mine, but I haven't uh, uncovered my actual keyring. Chris, I understand you have a picture of it you can show me. Just put it there, right? Oh, that one. Yes, I've got that. Okay. So it's a um, kind of a flat. It's... 
quite yeah. crap, to be quite honest. It's, brilliant. it's a it's it's a very flat piece of sculpted blue plastic in like the silhouette, the outline of Sonic. Clearly a bad wrong Sonic because the spikes are going in all That's directions. That's the thing. Yes. There's no detail on it except his eyes, which hard to tell based on this photograph, but I assume are done in silver chrome. Mm. Yep, that's what that is. Um, so that's sellotaped to the front of the cover, and also it advertises new stories. Sonic. Decap attack? Plus, Porker Lewis's dirty secret. That's not what it says. <laughs> it says big secret. <laughs> Sonic and Amy pin up. And, oh, a smoochy graphic zone. Mm. Yes, because there is no other indication on the cover that this is a Valentine's mm. issue, except, except for, for the, heart. The, the heart drawing yeah. itself. To warn us that there's a smoochy graphic zone inside almost seems like an... In, in, don't buy the comic. Don't worry, lads, this one's not for you. <laughs> that was always sort of the tone whenever it was a Valentine's issue of anything. Smoochy Valentine's issue. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind then. You're fine then. I, I think it was things like Buster and Beano had, had trained us to go, Ugh! Yeah. And just life, generally. What did you get? Like, we didn't have... We had the concept of what cooties were. But obviously we didn't... We didn't call no, it that. No, no. That's a very American thing. What did we call it? Well, I don't know that we necessarily did. I don't, I, the idea that if you touch a girl in any way, you'll get some sort of disease was... Timeless. It was just as timeless. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure I had a name. It was just understood. <laughs> You'd get the lurgy, but I don't think that was ever really used either. Rick, any memories of that? <laughs> Honestly, the only phrase that comes to mind is the mange. And the I don't <laughs> know if that's a regional thing. Well, mange. Yeah, mate, probably from mange, yeah. M-A-N-G-E. Like, oh, somebody's got the mange. I wanted a spelling on that. Thank you, yes. <laughs> I'm sure we did have a word for it, but I will be jiggered if I can remember what it was. Write in, folks, yeah. with what you would get at your school. I think the closest we had was got the lurgy, but that wasn't just no, that, mm. that wasn't just for girls. It was like lurgy was a general sickness. Yeah, and it was it, like it was what you got from anyone who, if you drew them, you'd draw little flies going around them. <laughs> <laughs> Not to speak from personal experience or anything. No, no, no. Just a madman. Is that a Milky Way? It is. It is yeah. a Milky Way. Because this is an STC classic, Rick. This is a dual advert for two separate companies. It's for Milky Way, but are you picking anything up from this font here? The text across the top reads, Beware of a monster offer. But it says it in a font. A very recognisable font, even to me who never engaged with this. Because it is... Goosebumps. Oh. The amount of actual information is startlingly scant here yeah. the advert itself is an, an a naked milky way fully mm. unwrapped yeah. lying on a stone floor as light menacingly shines into this crypt through an open door in the distance yes it's up stone steps it's obviously a church crypt sort of a door but but clearly the sculpt and design of a milky way mm -hmm. memorable enough that rick was able to identify it without the trade dress adorning it that's the thing i mean intellectually i would have said it's the same to look at as, say, a Snickers or a Mars bar. But I know what Rick means. It does look they're, like a Milky Way, and I don't it know does how. Look like a Milky Way. <laughs> maybe they're different. Maybe, yeah. maybe we've never thought about this, yeah. and they have a specific pattern on the top. But anyway, you can win a scary holiday or a Goosebumps video yeah. with Milky Way. 
Doesn't say what a scary holiday is. No, there's no information <laughs> other than that. Oh, wait, hang on. There's a picture. There's a little picture of the cover, and it says, Instant win, spooky holiday in the USA. Oh, in, no, that is spooky. That's pretty spooky. Uh, that's quite spooky, yeah. <laughs> there are thousands of prizes, it says. Doesn't go into any further detail on the wrapper either that, that, that we can see. So there's no information. We do not know what that spooky holiday was. But the video is the... Well, the video shown here is the werewolf of fever swamp. <laughs> Control zone. Megadroid, they're letting us know that this is definitely the Valentine's yes. Day issue. They swear honestly. Yes, because he says, "Welcome to another heart-stopping heart, heart like a, like a Valentine's in heart. Love heart issue of STC." As our topical front cover shows, topical front mm -hmm, cover. Mm -hmm. So it is, and then he just what's in the comic after that. Uh, the one that jumped out at me yeah. was where he said that Lurve is in the air at yes. Castle Frankenstein. L-U-R-V-E. -E. It's how you and spell love. I feel like love. I haven't heard Lurve spelled out like that in a very long time. It's how time. you have to spell love if you are writing the editorial for the inside of a comic like this. I'm sure they do it in if there's a Valentine's issue of Monster Fun. No, I don't think so. I don't think we do that anymore. <laughs> I think it's a way of downplaying the honesty of the emotion yes. for the boys in the audience. It just sounds like a sort of way of drawing it out and going... Allure. You're saying it in a yeah. sexy way is what you're doing. <laughs> it's like how I still now hear people say when they want to describe something as good, but that's a bit awkward. They don't say it's good. They say it's good. <laughs> it's the same thing as that. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's a new one. I have. I heard it just the other day. I couldn't tell you when. Good. I don't think people describe things as good anymore. Good. No, they They're don't. They're either so... the best thing in the world ever yeah. or mid. Or good. <laughs> Speaking of Valentine's Day, you know, I think I should ask Rick if, if you uh, were. Will you go out with me? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm taken. I appreciate the offer. Yeah. No, I was going to ask, having been with the comic all the way through, that means you were with the comic through the years when it gave free Valentine's Day cards away with the issues. <laughs> I was wondering if you ever did anything with the cards. Do you know, I don't remember. I, I do vividly remember the look of like the first one, which was the straight-on face with the, the red yeah. background, but I don't remember if I ever did anything with them. Well, did you ever... Were you a, were you a Valentine card giver at all? Because I flipping wasn't. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm far too... Uh, I don't want to say uptight. Shy, maybe, is probably a better way of putting it. Like... Too terrified to hand somebody a card, especially the one with Sonic the Hedgehog on it. I know, yeah. I feel like you have to have a closeness with that person already to know that they yeah. would be willing to accept a Sonic card. There is a really small niche of people who could ever use a Sonic the Hedgehog Valentine's card, and like... And both of them live in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I should count myself among them, shouldn't I? But even I... Yes, even, but even you... Never used the Sonic... <laughs> Down below Megadroid's intro, so we have the winners. Oh, yeah, this is just the winners. For some reason, I thought this was another compo, but it's not another, <laughs> another. compo. It's, it's not the third peanut butter bike contest, is it? <laughs> but we did have two, though, yeah? We did. We did have two. We definitely yeah, this did. Is, okay. This is just the winners of the first Sunpat giant bike compo from back in issue. The first one. 115. That's I f that's sort of half embarrassing, isn't it? That we've had another one of this exact same compo since the compo these are the winners of. It wasn't exactly the same. Because well, it was close. It, it was only sun took up half a page instead of a full page. <laughs> okay, but it was Sunpat and the giant bike still. It was, but I feel like the presentation is everything uh, because I don't care about the prize in the podcast context. <laughs> I care about the amount of content that can be wrung from the advert. Yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, it's it's five lucky boomers mm. won a mountain bike. Uh, yeah. Hundreds of entries were received, and the five people below were the winners. Robert Morton, Nicholas Atwood, Steve Bartley, Max Abudara, and Robert Band. If any of the five of you are out there yeah. listening to this, for God's sake, <laughs> let us know. Rick, did you ever enter any of the contests in STC? I'm pretty sure I entered everything. Really? I don't think I ever won. Uh, oh, that was my next question. If it was uh, sending like a stamped addressed envelope to win something, then yeah, I would have bought a postcard and sent that in huh. just for the sake of it. Because Dave and I are always talking about how we never entered anything ever for some reason. No, don't know why. Oh, I enter everything. Still now? I'm really bad for it. Yeah, even now. Like, yeah. I don't want to know how many advertising companies have got my address because I just sent an envelope. I'm like, yes, I would like to win a packet of crisps. Sure, I'll take my name. <laughs> Sorry. Order and Chaos, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, colours by Nigel Kitching, and letters by Tom Frame. Sonic and Tails spring into action when the Dracon Empire invades the floating island. But the invasion force is simply too big for Sonic to handle, even with one of the island's guardian robots to help him out, and he's taken prisoner. As, led by Grimer, the Dracons make their way to the island's Chaos Emerald Chamber, intending to reclaim the gems, which are revealed to have been stolen from the Empire by the Echidnas eons ago. Chaos Emerald Lore! I knew you'd be excited. We're all excited. Chaos Emerald Lore. It's the main thing that I care about. Vic Reeves in it down there. (laughs) Calm down. I'm on the same side as Dave here. Anytime those things appeared, if that little steamy lockbox shows up, oh, 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 steamy little lockbox. That dirty little lockbox. (laughs) Appropriate for a Valentine's issue. (laughs) But uh, yes, this is the beginning of the story that is everything we've been building to, essentially, since Flicky's Island started and introduced us to the Dracons. As the Dracons, led by Grimer, who previously, you know, betrayed Robotnik a couple of issues ago. Yeah. And has told the Dracons where the Chaos Emeralds are and uh, is leading a full-scale invasion force. We open on a splash page here, something that's becoming a little bit more common in these big Dracon stories, as Kitching and Elson are just... Fully indulging all of their classic Lee and Kirby Marvel impulses and starting on big full splash pages. As these big Jack Kirby ships, three of them, descend out of the sky over the floating island and the Dracons come down in beams. They levitate down to the planet as Sonic and Tails fly overhead on the plane responding to this news. Kitching, colouring Elson. Yeah, interesting. We've seen that before. There's a very interesting look to it. It looks totally different than what you would expect from, you know, Richard Elson art. But even from the idea of Nigel... Because obviously Nigel Kitching's colouring, which we know from Nigel Kitching's art, is perfect. On Elson's, it has a sort of... A sort of chilly, minty sort of a look to it. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, Kitching's colours have changed a lot over the last 100, 120 issues. You know, because I remember how vibrant... Those early mm. decap attacks were, and how he has over time changed into this lighter, washed out doesn't really feel like the right word no. for it, but yeah. a more pastely, paler palette. Yeah. And that, that stands out as odd on Richard Elson's line work. But he does deal in, so, so when Elson colours himself, he's doing all sorts of shading and so on. Mm. Nigel's more going for sort of like flat colours, yep. but he's picking the colours in such a way that they're all extremely clear, they stand out against each other. You know, there's a lot of crowd shots in this, and it's never confusing. 
And for Pete's sake, for Pete's sake, I'd better mention a detail in the art that we never got round to mentioning in the record of this, which is that the uh, the opening big splash picture, there is a bush on the island to the left of the page, which was not drawn by Richard Elson at all, but by, the story goes, his son. Don't know why, but it's interesting, isn't it? That's fun, isn't it? Got his kid to draw a little bush there on the side of the thing. I had to mention that for Pete's sake. There you go, Pete. Don't have a go at me for not mentioning it. Rick, obviously as a long-time fan, you must have words to say about Richard Elson's artwork. I don't think there's anything really you can say about it that people don't immediately get from just looking at it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And this isn't like childhood bias either, right? This is like looking back at it now, you can still see this is somebody at the top of the game who knows what they're doing. Mm. And it's just that style. It's not like anybody else. It doesn't look like somebody who's gone through like the DC house style or the... Even with like some of the other 2080 stuff, it doesn't... like there's little signatures and tells here and there but it doesn't read like somebody who draws like somebody else Mm. doing a factory line book Mm. and for a licensed ip title that's really easy to fall into to be like somebody who's just like a road you know this is a job i'm gonna come in i'm gonna do my nine to five you know Mm. i don't really care about the property this is somebody who it's just good that's a very interesting point because yes we've talked across this whole series about how good it is but I don't know whether we've really gone into the fact that it, it doesn't look like, you know, so like the art on IDW Sonic is all absolutely brilliant, and they're working to a sort of house style. So they're not drawing the same as each other, but there's a through line to all of mm-hmm. them, because that's how you draw Sonic, and then they're just doing it really well. This does not look like that. This doesn't look like... What- no, well, well, what it is is, Elson is the through line. Yeah. He's the style definer for STC. Yeah. Less so now that you've got guys like McMahon doing very much mm, their yeah. own thing with it, and a new style guide that's come in in the last year that's sort of had forced a lot of people to readapt. That's it, yeah. But you think back a year or two to when guys like Mike Hadley and Keith Page were so clearly being given Richard Elson's stuff as reference to say, this is what this comic should look like. These are the characters style guides to follow here and it's because he came in with a very strong style and it just it just happened to work very well with sonic the hedgehog that's how he drew and it just connected perfectly with this property and so naturally he was kind of like the industry standard of how to draw this stuff for quite a while of course it has changed a lot since he started and it will continue Mm. to change right up until the end you know but it doesn't read as old it doesn't look like oh this is how people used to draw in the past which i think some of the i think you'd have to speak to some 20 year olds before you could go definitively yes, making but... that statement <laughs> yes but that's because to them this happened a long time ago so it is old but what i mean is this isn't how everyone drew in the 90s and so naturally it would look like this oh okay this is how this person drew you know it's like looking at classic mickey versus 80s mickey or something it's just it's different styles that worked on the same character and it's very interesting i think though uh, as i say elson is very much indulging his kirby influence with this one with the big drop ships and um uh, well grimer so oh it's not revealed until the end of the issue that this figure in the green and white armor is grimer but, I mean, obviously we knew right away that it was Grimer because he's he's leading them and, and giving them the details to how to move through the floating island. And they're going, where'd you learn about this? And it's like, oh, it'll tell you. Um, I didn't know. I didn't get it. Was oh, him. you didn't? Oh, no. I mean, oh, I, okay, I no. <laughs> well, I assumed this was the one that Grimer had been talking to or something like that. But yeah, no, it could actually, the reveal worked because oh, enough, on the last page, it removes his helmet, this guy. And it's Grimer in there. And yeah, Chris went, yo, no, 
media literacy, learn it. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> and I went, oh, I know, Grimer. But like, we gotta go. We gotta walk through this thing at the end where he lifts the helmet off and goes, you know, yes. "Who are you anyway? You talk as if you know me. Prepare yourself for a shock." <laughs> yeah. No, he will have put a different accent on while he was being a dragon. Yeah, but did a bit of vocal <laughs> effect over yeah, the voice yeah. so Sonic couldn't recognize him. Lifts the <laughs> helmet off with a of the air coming out and it says it's Grimer and Sonic's like but you work for Dr. Robotnik the Dracon Empire made me a better offer and I'm like well yeah we as an audience know this and yes okay Sonic does have to have his shocked discovery that Grimer has betrayed Robotnik he doesn't know that but we we do, so I was. It wasn't a surprise to me that the mask came off and it was him under there. We do, although this is the first time I think that I've believed it. I'm going like, oh, I'm, oh, yeah, it's real. I've I think I've always assumed that Grimer was so loyal that the whole thing was a plan that him and Robotnik cooked up to pantomime in front of them. I'm still not ruling it out. No, Rick, that's a good. That's a really good question. Actually, we should ask you, Rick. How clear are your memories of all this? 60-70%? Like, I remember a lot of it happening, but I also don't remember, like, a lot of the names attached and a lot of the specific story beats. Yeah. Mm. So I always remember Grimer sort of turning tail, but I always oh. thought, again, I thought it was going to come back around, that it was he was going to be like, oh, it was all a trick all the whole time. Well, maybe it does. Because we don't remember. This is the important thing. I just kind of want to, don't spoil it for us, if you remember, was really why I was asking. <laughs> yeah, we don't know if Grimer is, is really betrayed Dr. Robotnik or not. <laughs> yeah, I remember the some of the Dracon stuff, and then pretty much like straight to the Sonic Adventure 1 adaption. And I don't know if there's a lot in between there. Everybody remembers the Sonic Adventure. There's a whole year in between that. So I'm not too uh, <laughs> up on what happens in between, but I'm like, hey, when does he get the new jacket? When do we just do that? <laughs> But the point I was going to make before we went off on a side story there is that Grimer's just wearing Cree Empire colors here again uh, with the big fin helmet and everything. Uh, and that's why I say Elson is is just really indulging his Kirby influences here. Uh, I see. Of course, uh, Kitching's colored it. Oh, and it's not the first yeah. one of these guys to wear green and white. That guy who came through the Mobius ring the first time back in Flicky's Island. He was a prosecutor, wasn't he? Yes. I think so. But this is the first time we've seen that armor color again since. And, and that's just, yeah, they're the Cree. They're, they're the Cree if they were fish. <laughs> With Nigel colouring Richard here, there's a real emphasis. On, like, you can more clearly than ever see Elson's inking. Mm. And it's lovely to look at. I mean, look at that big page with the Chaos Emerald reveal. Look at the Stalag, whichever one they are. You remember. Come on. Come on. You can do this. Um... Stalag, it's to do with the M and the T. One of them because because they go up, and one of them go down. No, the other, no, it's not the G. No, <laughs> it's Stalag. Nope, don't know. Stalag, my stalactites, because they hanged out. No, <laughs> stalactites. C. Stalactites come from the ceiling. Stalagmites G come from the ground. ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you gotta have a system. <laughs> um, yeah, the stalact the. Them anyway. Don't they look nice? They do. <laughs> uh, I was mesmerized by the emeralds again, and I was mm. like, well, "There's an emerald." This was the thing, right? So the next issue box says we're kind of jumping all around. Yeah, here, yeah. But the next issue box says one of our emeralds is missing, <laughs> and I looked back over at the big page opposite, and I was like, "Wait a minute! One of them is missing." It's the, and I tried to count through the colors, and I realized, like in modern parlance, yeah. it would be the. Cyan emerald that's missing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, wait, 
What colour is that in SDC? And STC often makes that the orange mm. emerald. There is no orange emerald, but it's no, orange yeah. in STC. But then in the panel below, you can see, no, it was just hidden behind the master emerald. It's there. Yes, that's... And, and it's pink. It's pink. <laughs> so... <laughs> Pink. 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 There's a pink emerald now. We're going back to Sonic 1 on this. Hooray! <laughs> and look on the table there. Knuckles is left just scrolls laying out and everything. Yes, I know. Oh, nice Lovely. little cross-strip continuity. All his yeah. ancient scrolls out for... Oof, anyone could walk in and read those. I know. Well, you got to have the manual close to hand, don't you, in case it goes wrong. Put it in a drawer, though. Come on. The Floating Island hadn't invented drawers yet. That's it. Yeah, they'd invented space travel. You know, they, were, they were so advanced in so many ways, <laughs> but they had so much to learn. Oh, look at them. Look at the Chaos Emeralds. Oh, look at them all floating there in their beam. So nice and round. And a little bit of lore. Mm. They were stolen from the Dracon Empire many thousands of years ago. Cool. Because we know the Dracons had been trying to solve this. What did, what did they... I forget what they called it. The mystery, mm. the key. Mm. Whenever they, this is something they've been trying to mystically divine the yeah. location of the emeralds for a long time. So this is the last little bit of game lore that Kitchen can wring out of Flicky's Island, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And, well, yeah, game lore. My only other note, we've kind of gone past it now, so I would normally not yeah. say it, but my other note is that what they do when these guys all touch down on the... Because we've jumped around. The rest of the issue is largely just a fight sequence. It's a fight yeah. sequence because Sonic and Tails see them all doing this stuff on the floating island. They go down and, and sort it out. And um, what the Sentinels are doing is they find a brass ring on the floor. And uh, Grimer tells them that, yeah, that's pull that. Because what it is, is that, as we remember, the floating island has a network of secret tunnels in it, like from the extrapolation of a bit of manual fluff used to explain the mysterious locked-off areas as a result of a last-minute decision about how to publish the games! <laughs> Do you have that written down in front of you? Yes. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's uh, it's not a zoom tube, a zoom as we've seen zoom. in the earliest issues. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, it is a tunnel. Uh, Gramer sends a uh, sentinel into a tunnel, and then, uh, and then one of the robots comes out! Yeah! One of the robots! We haven't seen them in ages! Them guys! Yeah! It just comes out and just starts punching everything. <laughs> Grimer says he was hoping Knuckles didn't have any of the defensive robots operational yet. I didn't think they were ever inoperative. Because they were all operational uh, when Dr. Zachary had them all up and running and they weren't wiped out by the EMP. Well, I expect the idea is that that's something that his chest of information has told him how to do. Well, that's what I feel like is, yeah, that Grimer is hoping that Grimer did saying, not yeah. get the information from the chests to get the robots operational. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that, But well, the that... robots were already operational, is my point. Well, that's your answer then. Grimer doesn't know that, does he? He wasn't there for that strip, so he... Robotnik he... was. No. Oh. <laughs> well, perhaps Robotnik Well, need to know basis, Grimer Yes Why would I tell you anything? <laughs> anyway, just because we have interstrip continuity going on here, obviously mm -hmm. Sonic drops down to the surface of the island Tails is shouting after him Should we have some kind of plan? I have a plan I plan to win Oh, yeah <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog Um and he says, you know, if I thought I had to take on all you guys by myself, I might be a little worried. But Knuckles should be along any moment to help me now. And then Knuckles doesn't turn up and Sonic is steadily overrun while wondering where Knuckles is. Now would be a really good time for Knuckles to turn up. 
The comic is constantly reminding us. Or does it just do it once and I felt it the rest of the- Yeah, it just does it once. The comic reminds us in a caption, like, actually, to find out why Knuckles isn't turning up, you want to read his strip later on in the issue. He's in the special zone. Hmm. So we know as we read, he's not coming. He's coming. And Sonic appears to be, uncharacteristically perhaps, relying on him to turn up and save the day. Well, it's because Tails is landing the plane. So she's not there to hear Sonic say yes. that uh, that he might could do with Knuckles' help. Yes. <laughs> yes, Tails is actually unaccounted for here, you know. Tails goes to land the plane and then doesn't reappear in the story, so that'll that'll oh, probably factor right. in into how things turn out for Sonic. It will, won't because it? um the Dracons leave Sonic to fight the Sentinels on the surface and head down. They fight their way past the robot and head down into the Emerald Chamber, and then Sonic is led into the room in chains. I see you are now our captive. Take a good look at the Chaos Emeralds. They're not going to be here for much longer. Hey, these bozos didn't beat me. I just figured this was the easiest way for me to find out what you were up to. Yeah, Sonic, right. <laughs> I Yeah, I love STC Sonic, and I don't know whether that's true or false, and I don't mind. <laughs> that's kind of the fun part, isn't it? Like, yeah. you could def- It's the sort of dangerous move that you could absolutely imagine yeah. STC Sonic pulling yeah. to jump to the end faster. Yeah, but also, this is what he would say if they beat him. But also, <laughs> in this particular situation, I feel like he got beat. It's a very Doctor Who move, though. Yeah. You just go, sure, tie me up, take me to the guy, okay, now explain everything, and now I'm going to break everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, actually, yeah. And we've established that STC writing is adjacent to Doctor Who writing, and inspired by... Big British protagonist energy. <laughs> <laughs> I totally meant to get caught yeah you can't prove it <laughs> what you're thinking of dave is the last line of the strip where sonic sort of says yeah. sotto voce <laughs> if you're gonna show up knuckles now would be a really good time but he's not but presumably tails will come along to help him next time mm. i have no idea what's going to happen in this story this is at least three parts i think so this is this is kind of like like all of these sort of tentpole stories in the dracon arc saga mm. year it's been, uh, you know, it'll it'll be a year, basically, between the fourth birthday and the fifth birthday that this storyline stretches. And they've all been, like, three or four parts long. So, um, yeah, this isn't just, well, for goodness sake, the Chaos Emeralds in it. You know it's not just some little story. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't another Hobson and Joy. The only clue we have is this caption, isn't it? One of our Emeralds is missing. So, so one of them is going to get pinched, taken somewhere else. By the way, that's a joke, will I go as far as to say? A reference that people have been doing throughout... Our lives, one of our, this or that is missing. Um, My first one was a a sort of Christian board game called One of Our Aardvarks is Missing. It was very entertaining. It had all sorts of tabs to pull and flaps to lift. Is there an origin to that phrase? I never really thought about it. As far as I know, the first one is One of Our Aircraft is Missing, which was a wartime propaganda film, but that happened to just also be a very good film. So it's just kind of stuck in the... Collective. One of our X is missing. One of our X is missing. Yeah, I can't think of the first time I ever ran up against the sentence. But you know what I mean, right? You've heard it loads of times, haven't you? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Oh god, yeah. So it doesn't actually confirm that any of the Chaos Emeralds is going to go missing. It could just be an editorial, I need a phrase. <laughs> like, maybe Tails will just quietly sneak in and nick one and just tuck it behind a rock. Yeah, right. and there you go. You know, just something as simple as that, you know, yeah. Or just flies it off in the plane. There you go. Now you can't have the power of the Chaos Emeralds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I assume that's it. It would just be about the heroes keeping one emerald out of the Dracon's hands in uh-huh. some capacity and so they don't get them all. Is this the first time they're sort of confirming that the Emeralds are alien, then? 
I think so. Because if these were originally like the Dracon's emeralds, that means they're alien, right? So that's something that uh, I don't know if Sega have pulled from that recently or if it was something that was mentioned in an old obscure book somewhere else. But like the games just pulled this. Yeah, that was right. Frontiers revealed, obviously, that the emeralds were alien. I never uh, never thought of that before, but yeah. I haven't seen the Dracon design in a while, and for some reason, speaking about Doctor Who, something about the helmet of the guy, where he's talking about the emeralds being stolen, I'm looking at the helmet design and the way the chin comes down, and something about it is just bugging me. And I swear I've seen something similar in an old episode of Doctor Who where my brain is going, Pyramids of Mars, it's Sobek's helmet. And I'm like, I don't think it is, but there's something about it. It's just... It's a little bit Omega, isn't it? Yeah, there's something that I'm... Is there a little bit of Time Lord in there? Is there a little bit of some goofy BBC prop helmet in there? (laughs) Well, the the whole Rakon concept is Chariots of the Gods, really, isn't it? You know, it's these ancient beings from another world that colonized or civilized Mobius in the ancient past and then disappeared from the world, leaving behind only the ruins of their civilization in the aquatic ruin so it would make sense that there would be a kind of well like like with uh, the the original sentinel when it appeared in issue whatever issue that was 29 how it had so much more of a sort of a greco-roman look to it and how elson has made them much more squishy fish guys now there's there, i definitely think yeah there's a little something egyptian about the looks of that particular guy well it's the thing of emphasizing a striped chin mm. isn't it with that yeah the, the tall hat, too. I'm also doing my best to look at the Chaos Emerald column and the terminals around it and not just see a TARDIS console. That's a TARDIS yeah. console, oh, though. We've yeah. definitely talked about that one, yeah. 100% yeah. that is a TARDIS console, yeah. Oh, a TARDIS console <laughs> through the prism of Jack Kirby. Yeah. That's what this is. That's what Sonic the Comic is. When it's... Doctor Who by Jack Kirby. Yes! With a blue rat as the lead character. <laughs> Mickey Mouse in. <laughs> yeah! Felix the Cat in Jack Kirby's Doctor Who, the game, the comic, the podcast. Because <laughs> that's the other thing, right? Like, you guys have seen Castle of Illusion, right? Yes. Yes. Which came suspiciously a year or two before Sonic 1 and includes the emeralds in that game as well, or the power gems, I think they called them. Oh, yeah? Where are seven different colors that you have to use to make the rainbow bridge at the end, and it's very similar, and Sega guys would have been seeing that and working on it while they were developing other properties. So some people always joke about Castle of Illusion being Sonic Zero. Oh. Because it came slightly before 1 and has the, you know, the rat collecting the gems kind of thing, and it's like... (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little bit across the DNA there. Oh, sh- yeah, hold on. Look at this, Chris. Well, yeah. That's the Master System one, right? If you see them in the Mega Drive one. Oh, was there a Mega Drive one? I was going to oh, say, was there a Mega Drive one? Yeah. yeah, where is it? When you see them in the Mega Drive one, they, they're actually the same shape. Huh. Yeah, so there you go. Mega Drive was 1990, Master System was 91, then Game Gear in 93. Oh, there you go then, Sonic Zero. Game Gear in 93? And yeah, you have to collect, I think, seven of those gems and they make a little rainbow bridge at the end, so that's why each one is a different color. I'm going to pull up a long play. That doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Because I used to play Castle of Illusion on the Game Gear at Children's World. Children's World. Before they installed the Mega Drive that meant I could then play Sonic. No, they had the Mega Drive. But it was Moonwalker because Sonic wasn't out yet. That just must be wrong then. I must just be misremembering. Oh yeah, no, there they are. All different colours, alright. Oh! Yeah, oh no! Uh, I've got it. I've looked on... Well, I mean, I've looked on Wikipedia. You never know if this is right. Um, the Game Gear version came out in 1993 in Japan. But here, 1991. Oh, oh there we yeah, go. Then. No. That'll be uh. <laughs> Sorry, that's me reading the first line of things. <laughs> right. 
Oh, interesting. So they got it in Japan absolutely ages later. But you're still right. It came out on Mega Drive first. Yeah, and it was weird because it was just slightly earlier as well. So it was, I think, because it's a Sega-developed game, there's a chance that people in whatever office who were working on something, so much with, like, Popeye and Mario, there's a thing with Mickey and Sonic as well. Yeah. It would have been some of the same staff, presumably, would have crossed over here and there. Mm. Well, that is fascinating. I'm going to have to play it now. (laughs) We got a Mega Drive Mini, didn't you? Is it on there? Yeah, it's yeah. on there. That, that's, that's one of the things, right? Like, I don't know how Sega managed to keep hold of that license forever, but, like, in yeah. perpetuity, they're allowed to keep re-releasing Castle of Illusion whenever <laughs> they want. And it's like, but that's Mickey. It's like, yeah, but Sega don't care. Sega <laughs> can't even keep re-releasing their own Sonic games sometimes, but they've got Mickey. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, the thing about the Emeralds always threw me off, because I think I played Castle of Illusion slightly before Sonic 1. I was lucky mm. enough to play Castle of Illusion relatively early. I think a friend had it, and it was like, I'm not obsessed with big, shiny, magical colorful gems, but I kind of am. I am. You'll have to play Castle of Illusion then because it's like the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just without the special stages. That sounds like the evening plans. But if if we're doing this, if we're doing history of games, I think your connection there is probably true. I think I bet there was stuff in common. But you were already collecting the seven rainbow gems in Rainbow Islands. That was the same thing there. You were collecting gems of that shape of that shape in the colours of the rainbow in every level is what you were doing. So they were already sort of in games and a thing that you did. Little things that look the same but are different Different colours. That's my jam. It goes back further than video games is the thing. That's the thing. I don't know that you can chart an origin point for that. No, indeed. Because it's just something that cavemen like to line up their rocks and they're slightly different colours but the same shape. Yeah, I'd have been that caveman. So have you got a shelf with a full collection of treasures of the earth? Is that the... Partworks oh, did gemstone you never see collection. It? It was, yeah, I did. Yeah, it was that that magazine that came with little samples as gems. Yeah, yeah we uh, we yeah, started yeah. we started having those. You know, as you do with the partworks, we had the first couple of issues. Stopped. Yeah, Got a few and then <laughs> yeah. You get about five or six, and then you're like, eh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> little boxes of dirt. <laughs> yeah. Knuckles. Knuckles. No. Um. Knuckles. Knuckles. On the Run, Part 3. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin, and letters by Elita Fell. Knuckles' tussle with Hammerhead draws the attention of Mighty and Espio, who both soon find themselves on the receiving end of the crime boss's fury. But thanks to their intervention, Knuckles recovers and quickly knocks Hammerhead out. When the I was going to say lieutenant, but... It, I heard it in your lo- voice, This yeah. is a lieutenant, surely. This is a lieutenant, isn't he? He's American, right? <laughs> I have never in my life figured out, A, yeah. why Brits do that, A, and two, when you're supposed to do it. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel like I've ever heard it used in a police context. Mm, I, I don't know, think yeah. people went around lieutenanting in the bill. But then I don't think... I don't know if you have lieutenants in the British police <laughs> or not. No, I've no I idea. I don't care. Brits! Do what you like. <laughs> Just keep to yourselves. Anyway, this guy is a lieutenant because he's from New York. Yes, because that's the, the important thing is to remember is that New Tech City is Marvel, New York. So this guy is absolutely a lieutenant <laughs> in the New York Police Department. I know how to bridge this. Uh, I'll read it as follows. When Lieutenant Führer and the New Tech yeah. PD arrive to bring everyone in for questioning... Führer also mistakes Porker Lewis for missing criminal Oscar the Pig, forcing Porker to come clean and admit that he is Oscar after all.
<laughs> doesn't really work in an audio no, medium. I think they'll get it. Slapping your cheek in shock, does it? <laughs> but right, there's an element of shock here, because when? Not to me. This was the thing I remembered. Okay, the yes. the thing I have specifically been avoiding telling you for the last two parts. I remembered that the revelation halfway through yeah, this yeah, yeah. was that this was not a mistaken yes. identity story, which was your great concern about it. But... But the porker really was had this criminal past. Yes, but when we followed him through his entire life, is this is this little nudie baby porker was an international <laughs> criminal in another dimension? What? Well, again, <laughs> the ages of Sonic characters are a thing that it is not good to put numbers on. We yeah. have, this is a long-established fact on this show. Yes. If we go around trying to pretend like Sonic is really fifteen, yeah. just everything falls apart. Yeah, true. It's just that visibly, Porker now looks like he has sort of grown-up proportions. Sure. Whereas... Well, this is where you have to take the diegetic aspect of the art into account, which is that Porker did not suddenly one day grow muscles and thumbs and hands. I mean, he he, he did. We saw him The way the comic (laughs) drew him changed. Yeah. And the prior appearances of him as a little pudgy little baby boy (laughs) based on the sprite from the games were now retroactively... That's not what he looked like there. So this then may be the first instance of STC being old enough now that it has to retcon its own continuity in order to make sense. It it retconned its continuity the day Porker showed up with hands. I suppose it did, yeah. It didn't, years ago. I know that they have Christmas theoretically, but do they ever specify time frames? Like, how long is a year on Mobius? Like, can you be 15 and secretly have lived quite a long time? You've solved it. You've solved the whole problem of anyone ever saying their <laughs> ages. We don't know how long a year on Mobius is. All we know is that the times when STC chooses to show us the times they had Christmas are at Christmas on Earth. Happen to coincide, yes. But that doesn't well, mean how that's long right. is the average hedgehog's lifespan compared to the average pig? <laughs> I don't know. I simply don't know. I don't think I want to know. For all I know, hedgehogs might live to 200 years old. I don't know. I don't Don't Google know. it. I, I don't want to know. No. Yeah, is Sonic the Hedgehog dead? <laughs> yes, they brought that game out last year. He died in it. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I will say is I don't remember anything else about this story. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the whole backstory and how we're going to see it be fitted into Porker's history. Yeah, and how did Porker get to Mobius to be one of the friends Sonic has always had? It doesn't. It. It. it whether or not you take into account him having hands or trotters or whatever it is, this is still going to be interesting to see how they crowbar it into what we do just know about Porker, which is that he's always been friends with Sonic long before anybody found out there was this place to exist. Sure. And I feel like these I's will not be dotted and these mm. T's will not be crossed. Mm, yeah, I feel like that. Even though this is a story yeah. in which an ancient stone ring from a lost <laughs> magic technological civilization was required to facilitate transportation between the two dimensions. Yeah. I feel like maybe the story won't... Um, because otherwise... Well, but we'll see. Well, otherwise it would be something that I've always known about Porker Lewis, isn't it? Oh, yeah, oh, the secret origin of Porker. I know I was... It I is a was... little interesting, right, that, uh, yeah. that being somebody who was so into the friends yeah. and using them in your fanfics yeah. and everything as you were, that this particular nugget of information about Porker... Because I, I think this came after a threshold where you just sort of didn't care anymore. Yeah, was... Not didn't care. No, you're right. But there is... It's hard to put a finger mm. down on it. And I don't want to put it on issue 100, 
but well there's a, there is issue 100 but there's also just uh, uh, getting older i've already written all my fanfics as we're going to hear in the diary zone today i've got different priorities going on in my life at the moment than learning lore of Sonic the Hedgehog. but yes i don't remember what the deal is with oscar the pig so it's interesting how that particular data point correlates just with a point that rick was illustrating there a moment ago about how everybody remembers like everything up to 100 then nothing mm. then the sonic adventure adaptation yeah that's how everybody yeah. talks about sonic the comic even young people who haven't necessarily read yeah, it yeah. they know robotnik got deposed and then they did a big sonic adventure adaptation no 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 you've you've missed out an important detail robotnik got deposed he put a coat on and then they did a Sonic Adventure the adaptation. Coat. <laughs> yeah, the, he put the coat, the coat on in the Sonic Adventure adaptation. So fair enough. <laughs> one is t'other. See, you're both getting stuck into the law here, and yeah. uh, I'm stuck on the first panel. I don't know if this has already been explained or like shown because this is part three, and I'm jumping in here. But that place is called the Purple, Purple Mush Room. room. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't even notice it. Did not even notice it, mate. It has not been previously established. I'm, I'm spinning my wheels wondering if Oscar the Pig is some kind of pun. I'm going, like, why would you call him Oscar the Pig? Like, there's, there's no joke yeah. there. I don't get that. Where's the, no, I don't know. Hey, the Purple Mushroom is right there. And from <laughs> where I'm reading it, I, th- I thought it was the Portobello Mushroom, and I just couldn't read it properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, no. The Purple Mushroom. Yeah. That is the name of the bar, the club. Yeah, and it's shaped like a big mushroom sprouting yeah. up out of the, like a big a toadstool just small amongst the tires all these angular skyscrapers and then a mushroom yeah down amongst them yeah but that's Dobbin isn't it yeah I feel like we haven't had a moment from Dobbin like that in a little while again I'm gonna come back to do you remember when he designed that beautiful bejeweled egg <laughs> paddy wagon in Sonic the poster mag all those years ago in his ago? very first appearance yeah yeah <laughs> this is another one of those mm. the purple mushroom what a great name. And look at SBO and Mighty too. Uh, this is this is, there's a lot of look at. Look at their little I mean look at little knuckles on the floor at the top of page two, looking like a little on the floor knuckles. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way Dobbin draws all of these guys is just lovely. I like that SBO and Mighty are getting focus in this story. I know. We clocked from the first part that this was like we've said for a long time SBO has no personality. And it's true. But they've figured out how to do something with him now in this story which is just play up his sort of friendly rivalry with mighty so yeah. given that it's been prior established that this is clearly just marvel new york is hammerhead the gangster literally supposed to just be hammerhead the gangster oh wait a minute i never thought about it that way but when i say marvel new york it's it's a town where superheroes live and, and do super things rather than because kitching didn't lend himself to the direct parodies in the way that Stringer did with your insect guys and your Zed monkeys and your incredible bulks. No, but if I'm finding um, out now that there was a Marvel mob boss called Hammerhead, and there is in this was. as well. Yeah, it's just the little cane gives me Kingpin vibes yeah. but the name? And then just going, I'll tell you what then, let's just make him an actual Hammerhead. That bloke's dressed like Sebastian Shaw. That's how he's dressed like, from the Hellfire Club in the X-Men. He's mm, got yeah. the ruffles, he's got the, the Victorian waistcoat. That's how he's dressed like. Other than the name, there's no real... And, but being honest, like he's a hammerhead shark. It's very possible to imagine someone trying to come up with a crime boss animal. So, point one, you have to pick one of the bastard animals. So he has to be a wolf, or a snake, or a shark, or one of, you know, or a bat. One of the bastard animals. So they pick a shark, and it's very easy to imagine getting to a crime boss named Hammerhead 
without ever having looked at a Marvel comic. So I'm wondering, is this a trope? Does this go back further than this? Is there a hammerhead in James Bond? Is there a hammerhead in... And what the next one I was going to say is, is there a hammerhead criminal guy in Dick Tracy? And there is. So that might be where this all comes from, because that's old, and right? What is Dick Hammerhead Tra- and Dick Tracy? Uh, hammerhead, a criminal called Hammerhead who's got a wide head. Oh, well, well, well could even be that then. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Uh, but this one, to me, no, this doesn't necessarily feel like it owes anything to them. I feel like if it was drawn from Marvel, it would be there on the page. Right. It's yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even headbutting people with his head. He just beats them up with his big <laughs> stick. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's such a good animal to yeah. be a mob boss. Like it's a bastard animal. It's a bastard yeah, animal, and, it's, it and it does sound Dick Tracy ish. You know, yeah. There's something about hammerheads in there. You got to pronounce it with the accent. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that in Scouse. You couldn't have a bad guy called Hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hammerhead. He just went crazy. Everyone knows how dangerous it is, so we just keep out of his way. But this pig came in and. Uh, so yes, we have this continued idea that Hammerhead thinks Porker is Oscar, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Porker's trying to claim, no, no, he's not. You know, you and I have unfinished business, Oscar. I honestly don't know what you're talking about. Perhaps this will jog your memory. And he lifts his big stick to just to just beat Porker with a stick. Because remember how f-ing awesome that scene of him beating up Knuckles last issue was. <laughs> I was not talking to you, and that was it for Knuckles. Kind of makes me wonder, like, we're only halfway through this story. There's got to be some more a Hammerhead, right? Oh, I'm kind of into this, dude. so, yeah, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't just want him to pop up for this to be the inciting incident that no. forces Porker to spill his guts. I want I want a little more of this guy. Yeah. What we have here is a good special zone villain. And, mm. you know me, I was always into Lord Sidewinder and his gang, but you kind of weren't. This guy's got more class than Lord Sidewinder. That's it. Yeah, this guy's got the social power that Lord Sidewinder wishes he had because of his money. And he knows how to dress himself in the morning. Because <laughs> uh, Lord Sidewinder just went around <laughs> in his bathrobe. He did. And he's got the physical power yeah. to back himself up as well. Yeah. So he's got class, he's got style, and he's got power. And Lord Sidewinder's just a barmy old bloke flying around in a bath. <laughs> thinking he can control things with his mind. Yeah. And also Hammerhead's got... Of course he has, but it's nice to see a big fin coming out of the back of his coat. Good. There is a nice juxtaposition to that design, though, like dressing that fancy and then just whacking people with a stick. Yes, that's kind of what Lord Sidewinder had going on. He was the aristocratic villain who need not sully his own hands, for he has a large toxic waste robot man (laughs) and just Dr. Jekyll but Green to do that for him. But Hammerhead dirties his own hands. He's got the kingpin vibes. Mm. He'll happily take matters into his own hands and has the power to do it. Mm. And he's said, like, two memorable lines and has beaten one guy up and then been beaten up in turn and yet we're we're, we're into him it's we're just in, the fact that him. one of the first things he ever did was just beat knuckles up he beat up the guy whose distinguishing feature is that he beats people up <laughs> yeah he outpunched the puncher and sure enough it's nice that knuckles here is able to go like right now that a few of my mates are here distracting you i'm a bit more confident i can beat you up a bit it's not even distraction that's the thing. it's it's they so mighty and SBO jump him, you know. Mm. Uh, SBO comes up invisible and says that temper of yours is going to get you into all kinds of trouble. So then Hammerhead grabs him about the throat, and then Mighty jumps in and says, "It's lucky for you, I was here to save you again." And then Mighty and SBO start arguing about you didn't need to save me. Had him right where I want. Sure you did. But all it is is that it's simply buying a little time for Knuckles to recover. Because Hammerhead really blindsided him before. Now all it is is that Knuckles sees him coming this time. And 
takes him down <laughs> really cool sequence again he catches the when he when he tries to stick swing the cane at him knuckles catches it breaks it over his knee and then takes him out with one punch <laughs> yeah knuckles mighty just punches this guy in the back of the head that doesn't even like take him out doesn't even knock him out and then immediately starts bickering with espio like the guy's in the corner <laughs> yeah. the two of them just straight away like no forget that guy you showing me up i'm not having it and then yeah a one swing of the cane sends them both flying like rag dolls mm. whenever they're too busy arguing and hammerhead clobbers them i know your type hammerhead you like to dish it out let's see if you can take it you slay i guess not you slay and yeah, Knuckles comes over and goes, you okay, Porker? And Mighty's like, uh, it, he, it's us he was attacking, remember? <laughs> Not bothered, mate. And then we get to the, the last page where we have the big reveal where we learn something new about Porker that we never knew before. Look at those f***ing guns on him. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Check the pythons. <laughs> What has happened to Paul? Like, this has happened over the course of the last few issues, surely. It's all that really been doing a lot of engineering work. That's lifting, it. Toting, That's it. Welding, soldering in the floating island. Do you reckon Knuckles has got like a little workout regime that he's putting him through as well? Like, well, if you're going to live on my island. Well, Porker is working harder at it than Knuckles. Compare limbs. I know. Knuckles and his little noodles. It's not just limbs is the thing. I think this is part of that final shot where Porker is dejected, so he's kind of leaning on his own knees. And you just get the sense of a powerful back as well, don't you? He's hench. He's just hench. Yeah. We joke about it and all, but it is one of the general failings of STC. But I, I, I think we try not to linger on it because it would be all we would spend time talking about if it was the case. But yeah, it, it is moments like this that remind you, wow, STC really wasn't good about maintaining any sense of consistent style between the Sonic characters and the yeah. supporting Mobians. Which is frustrating because obviously at one point they did have a model for Porker that did preserve consistency with the uh, Sonic game design. Mm. And then they decided one day we'd, we're not going to use that anymore. <laughs> now Porker wears a leather jacket. And as I've said many times, I would have preferred it if they'd stayed looking that way all along. Though mind you, it is hard to imagine that little Porker working for a vicious criminal gang. That's it. But there's story to be revealed there yet. Maybe he was coerced into it. Yes. Considering that we haven't really reached the end of this little uh, reveal yet, does this mean, as we understand it right now, that his name was Oscar and he chose to call himself Porker? <laughs> <laughs> Oscar Lewis, I need to go underground here. What shall I call myself? I would assume his surname was The Pig, in the way that Sonic's surname is The Hedgehog. <laughs> Porker. Like, would you? You wouldn't pick that name. Like, that's no. something somebody else would call you, and you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, that's totally my name." I will be Hammy Hamchops. <laughs> yeah. Next issue, it says Porker's guilty past. So I guess we'll get Porker's the, dirty uh, secret. <laughs> Porker's <laughs> filthy, naughty little secret. Steamy secrets. Porker's uh, steamy lockbox. Porker's training. Oh, just lifting. <laughs> yeah. Not skipping leg day either. Oh. <laughs> yes, I'm really enjoying this Knuckles story so far. Uh, I'm going to have to see how the rest of the story pans out because, okay, all joking and all fun we've had with Hammerhead aside and everything and everything we were saying about the weirdness of the canon and where does it fit in Porker's history before. Given that all I remembered from this was Porker used to be a criminal on the run from the special zone. Porker Lewis used to be a massacre. <laughs> I've never remembered that as a good idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've never remembered that as being a good addition to the character's past. And anyway, but I don't remember anything else about it yeah, beyond yeah. that one line concept. 
So we'll see. Even, but even the idea that Porker is from the special zone feels weird. Yeah. But I feel like we can wait to do a full unpacking of it when the story ends. When we know what it is. And it does, there is, there is also a sort of overlap with some other stuff going on this issue that we won't be able to talk about for several issues. Mm. You mean like when we find out that Johnny Lightfoot's running like a cocaine ring? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Closer! <laughs> Just a It's Lego! It's Lego! Oh, I miss the days when it was all Sega-forced stuff. I'm like, hey, look. We usually like a Lego ad, but not much in this one, huh? This is, well, the thing is, look, I've never been interested in Lego City. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, just blokes. blokes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it's just blocks, isn't it? Hey, And this is that. This is um, a, a, some. It's actually a bit vague what is being advertised here. I think. Yes, it's. We've got the police station in mm. the background, and then there's a little police trike. Yeah. On the left there. But then this thing in the front is not police themed at all, and you kind of have to look twice to even realize that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Team Turbo is the name of this little quad off road vehicle thing. Okay, so are they who the police are chasing after? I don't. Maybe. But they don't look like crims. No, not really. So this is a full page picture of. Oh, I just noticed it's actually a drawn uh, crossroads. Yes, it's a drawn background, so the budget's decreased then for the Lego adverts, because <laughs> they've had some quite uh, elaborate backgrounds up till now. Um, but you've got this quite big police station, like central police station. It's got a shaft with offices above each other. And um, and they're just careening about the police. They're just driving yeah. their vehicles madly. Well, there's one doing a pulling a big wheelie in a three-wheeler motorbike thing. There's one just sort of up on two wheels of a police car. And uh, he seems to be chasing a guy on a motorbike who might be police or might be Team Turbo. I've absolutely no idea. Well, I don't think it's Team Turbo because it's not the same bike as is in the picture there. There you go. So I think it is just a police bike. Yeah, because it's got little blue lights on the back. So the guy in close-up right near to us, he's just driving a little, I don't know, little van. <laughs> um, a little box on wheels. Yeah, honestly. but, but it's, a, it's a power van. An exciting vehicle. Uh, which is a one-man vehicle with big treads, and he's driving along, and it says turbo on it, and it's going because it's got a big noisy engine. D- turbo. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I'm supposed to take from this. Uh, no, it's very hard to even describe, isn't it? It's yeah. just a load of Lego happening. There's some <laughs> fellas. Yeah. Imagine if there were some Lego fellas in a town. You'd expect it to look a bit like this. And this is about as exciting as I would expect it to be. There's nothing happening here. I mean, the biggest excitement I got out of this ad was that it made me think of a different ad. (laughs) The little slogan in the bottom left is, Get into town! No! It's easy! All sats from five years. And, um... Do you remember the Micro Machines Super Van City? Oh! It was just a large van playset that unfolded that out. unfolded into a city, into yeah. A city. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Remember the advert? Now, from Micro Machines, it's Supervan City. You can get into town. Supervan City. Just hold it on down. Micro Machines taking over the place. With real racing dragsters ready to race. Working bridges and an airport too. A car wash service. Supervan City, the Micro Machines world you can carry away. And that made me... Made me think, made me, made me think, think of that. Pin up. 
it is the cover, uh, but with Amy in place now. Yes, yes, she's back. <laughs> and one of these big off borders again. <laughs> yeah, one of their big metallic borders I Someone like to do. Someone take Gary Knight's computer off him. <laughs> and it says in the huge border, it says Amy and Sonic, divine duo. More or less guaranteed. Like, there's scarcely a detail on this poster that doesn't guarantee I'm not putting it on my wall, right? It's sort of lovey-dovey. It's about a particular story that I don't really care about. Yeah. Uh, they've ruined it. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a perfect story. What, you mean the weed killer isn't setting the mood for you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Amy is here holding a big uh, pump spray of weed killer. It is so story-specific. Uh, but Dave has a great aversion to when pinups put the names of characters on the pinups. Yeah, I'm not keen. I'm not keen. Oh, wait, the names of characters, I'm not keen, but I'm not fully against it. Just randomly putting a caption I don't like. Divine Duo, actively against that. I don't mind it, as we all know, but it's getting worse if this is like going to be a format we're going to be forced to stick to with this dreadful metallic riveted border. Yeah. The, the one that mm. ruined the Sonic R pinup from a couple of <laughs> issues ago. <laughs> Oh, well. And that's, like, another weird thing that shows up in the games as well, actually. When they do the Sonic Advance games and you pick your duo, it always gives them a cute little nickname when you pick the two characters together. So Divine Duo sounds like something that Amy would probably pick for the name of the two <laughs> yeah. of them, just to wind them up. Yeah, Sonic doesn't go around calling them a Divine Duo, but I can imagine yeah. Amy saying, We sure make one Divine Duo, don't we, Sonic? Well... Maybe once, not anymore so much. I don't think Amy That's would. the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, a slightly older version of STZ's Amy would say that to make fun. I don't think the current one would have any truck for it at all. Well, I don't think yeah. this is really intended to make fun. To be honest, I can fully mm. imagine uh, STC putting that caption on a poster of Sonic and Tails as much as I can imagine yeah. them putting it on a poster of Sonic yeah, and Amy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's purely the heart motif that changes it. Purely, yeah. That only gives it any kind of romantic context at all, yeah. yeah. But are there any tales of divine Valentine's love to be found <laughs> in this week's Diary Zone, Dave? Because the playing field has changed, hasn't it? <laughs> diary Zone! I have a bad case of diary! I have a bad case of diary! I have a bad yes, case because, of Rick, in the 90s, we read STC to find out what happened to Sonic. But today, it's an exercise in nostalgia now. And so in this regular section of the show, we tell you exactly what and exactly when we are nostalgic for because we're about to open my real-life teenage diary from the two weeks that this issue of the comic was available. And those two weeks, of course, are Valentine's Day, aren't they? There's a, there's a certain something fluttering in the air. Oh, listen, any other episode, I would be making my apologies for the uh, single tone of a lot of the entries. But it's appropriate for this episode. It's um, very good timing, Rick, for Valentine's Day, because just recently in the Diary Zone, we've had this running... It's a bit overblown to call it a story. But earlier in 1997, which is the previous year, Dave got on the internet for the first time. So we're getting all this on-the-ground reporting of early Sonic fandom on the internet from the perspective of someone who was there and helping to found it, almost. And in the last couple of months, Dave has made a friend with this person on the internet named Foxy. But just a couple of episodes ago, the identity of Foxy was finally revealed. And it is Dave's now wife. So now that it's Valentine's Day, I'm curious to see how these two things may come together. 
Well, however, we start with a bit of uh, uh, 1998 news. Oh, God, there was something about the way you said 1998 there that really made me realise it's 1998. It's 1998. That's so late in the decade. I know. Ugh. Yeah. Carry on. Four-day weekend! Hooray! Smart day Saturday, cool day Sunday! It's not specific about what day that starts, but let's assume it's today, Thursday, or rather Saturday, the 12th of February 1998, um, with a bit of uh, maudlin reflection here. Ten days ago, and we heard about this in the previous one, ten days ago, Saddam Hussein, brackets, approximate spelling, said he would, <laughs> said he would release weapons... Powerful enough to destroy the world twice. Okay, now hang on. You definitely talked about this already. Are you still on this? You'll see why. All right. It's because ten days ago he said he would release weapons powerful enough to destroy the world twice over in ten days' time. That's tomorrow, Friday the 13th. (gasps) Spooky! (laughs) So, what if this is the last entry in any diary Lord. ever in the history of the human race. I see now. Future sentient species can use it to get an insight into the lifestyles of the humes, as long as they can decipher English. Well, uh, I think we've established that they wouldn't get much of an insight. I think that we have established that you have long held this lofty ambition for your diary <laughs> far Far in advance of Saddam Hussein threatening to wipe out civilization. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's been clear that all along I reckon this is the last document that I think is going to be uncovered of the human race. It's important for me to get all this written down. Like, there is still a... There's a brain cell in there that still thinks this. Then this is why we've got to... This is why I've got to write a diary. This is why we've got to make our lives known on social media. It's because one day the archaeologists will need this. And this... STCTV podcast right here. Mm. How will they know what British people thought about Sonic mm. the Hedgehog? <laughs> to be fair, you wouldn't find out from anywhere else on the bloody internet. No, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. It is important. Now, if I owned a typey thing, <laughs> there'd be no problem. I could survive the missile. Then. <laughs> Do you remember the typey thing that I want? Yes, we were talking about this last issue. You want your yeah. own thing to personally store your own dirty, dirty documents on dirty, so nobody else dirty. might see them. That's right. I want myself an electronic word processor. I'm starting to get obsessed with this idea. If I owned a typey thing, would I do the diary on that each night? Huh. Then I could use a book like this for the drawings. Oh, wait. Are these these are still handwritten, aren't they? These I are handwritten. They hadn't shifted to digital diary no, these, yet. these are in a physical book, yeah. Friday the 13th, and still alive. Hey, good to know. I phoned Abby again. What's that, like, four times now? Sunday the 15th of February 1998, and then suddenly I get excited. The tone jumps into the stratosphere here. Picture the best night out in the universe, and you get what I'm doing on the 27th of June. I'm going to From a Jack to a King. With Abigail. Ah, right, okay. (laughs) From a Jack to a King, listeners, you may recall that some episodes ago, I was telling you about of all of the beats and all of the cities and all of the world. It's the uh, follow-up to Return to the Forbidden Planet, where the cast are the band and it's all silly and daft and loud and noisy. I absolutely loved it. That is why, listeners, I told you about it back then. Because this oh, is this is why I did wonder at the time. I have arranged to meet Abby for the first time with this show as the pretext. Who I've asked, 
I don't know if Abby knows yet. I don't know. I think I've just said to Mum, if we're talking about a date, then she must have the tickets. Mum must have already bought the tickets. Oh, a, a date on the calendar. Sorry. Oh, you, yes. <laughs> thought you meant a, a, a date. Yes, <laughs> the date on the calendar. Twenty um, seventh of June, though. It's it, you know, it's not vague. It's not at some point during its visit to the Nottingham Theatre nearby. It's specifically that day. I mean, perfection in a night out or what? I mean, wow. But how do I keep Mike, Ash, and Lee from coming? <laughs> <laughs> they loved Planet, and they would love this. Oh, I really don't know. Just don't tell them, I guess. Uh, yeah. This is a legitimate dilemma that you're still sometimes <laughs> butt up against in your adult life. Monday the 16th. No, look, you don't understand. I'm going to Jack to a King again, but with Abigail. Perfection. Oh, I did mention it to the gang. Oh. More in just mentioning than an, as an offer. So it looks like it's just Abigail and me and Jack to a King. Perfect. Wow. Great. Brill. Mega. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Tuesday, the 17th of February, 1998. No, but listen, though, I... Oh, for God. Okay, right. Okay, let me explain. 26th of June, 1998. And this is four months away, right? So I swear to God, I don't want to hear this every episode from now until June. I know, it's all right now because it's the Valentine's episode, but yeah, yeah. What I do remember is that I actually drew a tally on my wall like a prisoner. <laughs> Can I just check? Not to jump to the end. Yeah. But you do actually go, right? Yes, we do actually go, yes. <laughs> it's not like the plan falls through or something, you know. No, no, we do go. The last second. We do, do go, go. Okay. and we are married. That hasn't been that hasn't there's no reveal. Ah, we fooled you, Chris. Actually, we hate each other and <laughs> all along, the length of time, it's all been one giant catfish. <laughs> Catfished you into doing a podcast by sending a woman who you told me she was your wife to pull you into the circle to three years later eventually do a nine-year podcast about a comic from 26 years ago. To what end? I don't know. <laughs> just really wanted to do it and couldn't get anyone else to come out to play. I mean, to be honest, I've just realised exactly why I would do that and it's to get to read the end of Mobius to someone on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday the 19th of February 1998 11.59pm I'm tired, I'm going to sleep Me I can't too. think straight and concentrate in school I'm meeting Abby and I'm taking her to the theatre and it's Jack to a King my best friend in the world who is a girl <laughs> and a woman a woman and one of my fave shows my god it's not a date. She's my friend, not my girlfriend. But it's close. In fact, she might think that's what I had in mind. Maybe it was. Mm. Friday, the 20th of February. Time's Arrow. Oh, I didn't bring this one. All right, fill the list. It's been a while now, so yeah. yeah fill and, Rick and in while the Rick is are here, also so, being reminded, yes. So, Rick... Me and my friend... First have... of all, sorry about 
all of this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, listeners, sorry about all of this. Uh, me and my friends back in 1998 have written and devised a play. Uh, this was actually a while. It was a while. It was a this? long while back now. Yeah. It was a fair way before Christmas. All of this went down. We were doing rehearsals and so on. It was really tricky to ever get to have a rehearsal because there was often a sixth former in the room, which meant we just not allowed it or whatever. I don't know. But it was this arc. It was this continuous arc, and I always made it clear that there was an end to this arc. Mm. Um, Stop co-opting my. T- You're not allowed to call these arcs. Oh, that's how I sarcastically refer to them. <laughs> I beg your pardon. I do beg your very much pardon then. And, uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> an arc about some 15 year olds trying to put on a play <laughs> yeah that's my sarcasm referring to it like it's an anime saga <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed the amiga arc <laughs> <laughs> well um this is the reason i've been digging through boxes because i know that somewhere i must still have a copy of the write-up that i had to do for this play and i haven't found it so we're gonna have to stick with the diary if i find it though me and you chris are going to record this on another day because okay this went so tits up part of the work was that you had to do a sort of a a page of write-up like what did we learn what will we do differently next time and of course most people would have written a sort of essay but i wrote a kind of three-page rant about how badly this went oh wow oh wow and this sheet of paper ended up being read out by the sixth formers in the theater as a bit that they did, because it got such laughs when they read it. So if now, I can find that... How how did you take that? Oh, no, I loved it. It was amazing. Okay, it was like... People were paying attention to you. Yeah, basically. So <laughs> I, I'd written this, you know, David Sedaris exaggerated thing that happened in my life, and it, here it was being read out by the actors. It was amazing. So if I can find that sheet, I'll read it out. Instead, we're stuck with the diary entry version. We're stuck with the wiki synopsis. Yeah, so there's a couple of details I'm going to have to fill in. Um... But I did find the script to the play. Oh, Lord. Oh, Here it is. Mighty. Uh, don't worry. I won't be reading any of it to you, but... Maybe on Patreon. Maybe on Patreon. But here's the main thing that isn't mentioned in the this diary entry, but that is vitally important. The whole play is about a time machine. And this is because, you know, you, you, you're at school, you reuse set that's lying around. And we had on stage this amazing thing. It was this giant scaffold um it was called the scaffold and it was a sort of imagine a siege tower basically like you can wheel it about it's made of scaffolding it's a sort of shaft that you can climb up with ladders all over it and platforms all the way up and down it and what it's for is it's for going up and changing the lighting this is to be moved about on the stage it's a piece of equipment that you use you clamber up it and you lock the wheels clamber up it and change the lights so it's not a piece of set at all. It's a it's a, it's a piece of technical equipment, but we had co-opted it yeah. as a set. And the way we'd used it as a set was we had draped all these cloths all over it and put floodlights in it. So that means that me up in... Because I was the lighting and sound guy for this one. So I'm up in my uh, little booth. And when it's time for the time travel... Oh, we worked out all these amazing lighting effects where the the stage lights would go down, the lights in the machine would go up and they would pulse and they would like go down it and stuff. Amazing stuff. So, oh, and there was a bit as well where guys climb up it. There was a choreographed fight sequence that was all swashbuckling while hanging off it. Amazing stuff. So we write because, because Chris, because Rick, of this amazing set piece that we had, we wrote a whole play around it. And one week... Before we were due to go on, they went, oh, no, health and safety, you can't have that. Oh, <laughs> oh right. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> so now we have to devise an alternate time machine. And I think what we came up with was like, we were still allowed the floods, but we put them on the floor behind some sort of little square platforms that an actor could stand on to elevate himself a little bit above the, the rest of the cast. We had a couple of those. So we sort of stood them on end, put a couple of benches, made a little zigzag, but it was rubbish. Here is the diary entry for the performance. The 20th of February. Time's Arrow. Right. Well, we performed it today. At first, we began making up excuses. Then, when it became apparent that we were going to do it, it became a mad rush to get everything set up. I was legging it up and down the stairs to the lighting room and the stage, fixing lights, testing mics, shouting out lines, rushing rehearsals, setting up a video camera that wouldn't work, and generally going mad. Suddenly, I was told that we were going to start filming now. I had to do my final dithering and get to it. Lights down. Start video. Cue music and lighting. Begin acting. I had to simultaneously turn three lights on, two off, pause the tape, pick up two microphones, and keep my eye on the script. Suffice to say I failed on the script front, but luckily I remembered my cue. Everyone was forgetting lines, though. However, I was very impressed by the ad-libbing that was being done. Oh, so it wasn't because you lost access to the time machine prop. It's because you were all just a bit crap at what you had to do. Yeah, the, the, the again, I hope I find the full write-up because I'm reading between the lines a bit, but it seems what has happened is nobody told us this was going to happen. We wrote and rehearsed a play before Christmas. Now we're back and there is this air of being very suddenly told we've got to actually do it. Remember that play? You've got to do it. There's been no mention of it for the last few weeks, has there? So I don't know how much rehearsal we've had, how much we knew this was going to go on. But then, disaster. No. Mike forgot to find out that Ash was a German spy. The whole twist of the play. So just seeking through my old memory here. This is a standard 15-year-old's time travel plot. We have, of course, gone back and killed young Hitler. Of course. But there is a German spy among our ranks. And then what happens is he is exposed as a German spy because he's tampering with the time machine. And uh, Mike, or the character he plays, finds this, notices what he's doing, says, you're a German spy. And then the German spy shoots him dead. And this is then the trigger for the other characters to come on and begin a complicated choreographed fight scene that we came up with. What I think then actually happened on the night is that Mike either just completely forgot to expose the spy, just forgot that bit of the play, or some other cue was missed. Um, and he just ended up sort of just dying on the spot without anybody shooting him and then just being dead on the stage and just lying there. While we're all waiting for him to deliver the line that is vital to the rest of the entire story and which is about to trigger the big fight scene we've choreographed along to a big guitar solo and I'm ready with the tape and everything. So instead of this, Mike is just on the floor, dead, and we're all waiting for the, the pivotal moment to happen, which now can never happen. So so there's poor Ash, alone on stage, destroying the time machine by himself, and nobody stopping him. I quickly-ish came to his rescue by opening a spotlight to tell them to come on stage, please. Thankfully, after a couple of seconds, they did, and Ash was forced to just confess, uh... I'm a spy. <laughs> Ash leapt forwards and clashed swords with Lee. The stage then blacked out. The guitar solo began in a very loud manner. And the lights danced wildly as the three fighters battled it out. I'm getting excited. Clearly, this bit's good. As the three fighters battled it out in a perfectly choreographed ballet of movement. Their staffs moving in perfect coordination. 
They managed to make it actually work. It was long enough to fit the music. That had never before been achieved. And then later I got all my sound cues right, except uh, when they were going back to the present, I forgot to play the music, but I played it as they entered Stalin world and it was good. (laughs) And at the end, I actually managed, to a certain extent, to act. Sir commended me on that. And in fact, as the show closed and the auditorium lights came back on, Sir leapt out of his seat, crying, A-STAR! Hey, we did all right at the end! My memory of this was was a disaster! Yeah! (laughs) I have spent months waiting for the horror story of how this piece of (laughs) teenage play culminated in massive public embarrassment. (laughs) And you're telling me you got an A-star for recovering wildly after somebody forgot their cue. Nail. I am being betrayed over and round on this diary zone the last couple of months. I'm so sorry, Chris. I've come out of this. I'm on top of the world now. Brilliant. This has gone great. I mean, my memory of it was as an absolute abject disaster. Yeah, it's mostly about stress. We were, we, yeah, it looks like we were really stressed. But the thing is, and what I must stress, is that it was a disaster. We didn't have the set. We couldn't remember the lines. The, the, the cues were all wrong. The whole twist of the thing. They just forgot to do it. But it, it sounds like we really picked ourselves up and fixed it in the end, doesn't it? Well, that... I'm appalled! That, Chris, is showbiz. It is. Well, that's that's the thing. I was... That is the theatre. <laughs> that was what I was thinking! <laughs> that sort of shit happens all the... T- I just finished listening to Patrick Stewart's autobiography not long ago, oh. where he tells all sorts of stories about how people completely forgot their cue and accidentally performed entirely wrong portions of the play <laughs> and ended the third act before they started the second. Oh, no. And he's had a career. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. I was expecting somebody to at least fall off the stage and or break a limb. <laughs> well, if I give Sir a blank video, he'll copy it for me. And I'll put it on Abby's Bulma video. Oh, I'm putting a video together now. Oh, I out of what? I don't know, because I didn't have a camcorder. Yeah. Can't wait to talk to Abby about it on Chatterday. <laughs> oh, is that? That's the, so it goes smart day, cool day, Chatterday, Sunday. Now. Apparently, yeah. We've evolved the system, yeah. <laughs> Saturday the 21st of February. I'm sorry, Rick. A lot of this must be tremendously impenetrable to <laughs> I'm you. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm having a ball. All right, then. Well, that's what I want to hear. I mean, <laughs> we're getting to the end of it anyway. Saturday the 21st. Abby Drew, among other things, Metal Axe. Woohoo! Hey, hey, hey. It's Brill. She's as excited as I am about what oh about the date I mean <clears throat> it's not a date <clears throat> context for Rick. for Rick is that Metal Axe is a fan character that Dave and his friend invented for a fan fiction who is a Metal Sonic Tails Knuckles all in one yeah which is like oh, of course it is like you know did you ever hear anything as stereotypical yeah our Patreon content is me reading this fanfic to Chris and him pulling the sort of faces he's pulling now <laughs> Jesus, you wouldn't. I can't condone it. Sunday the 22nd of February, 11.50pm. Phoned Abby. Talked for one hour and 20 minutes. Woo! Mum and Dad went out and they told me bed before 11.30. Well, upstairs before 11.30. Anyway, they got home at 11.45 and they told me off a lot. And it's 11.50 now, so this is five minutes later. I've been told off. And apparently they told me off a lot, but five minutes later, I'm already writing in my diary about it, so can't have lasted that long. Uh, 
I could fit more into my day back then, you know. Now it'd take me three quarters of an hour to go upstairs and clean my teeth. If someone gave you a telling off today, that would be you for the day. I know. As we know, because Chris constantly does. <laughs> if I told you off at 11.45 at night, you wouldn't sleep. You'd lie awake in a fury, imagining all the things you should have said and what you're <laughs> yeah. going to say to me the next time yeah. that you see me. And how I would edit it later to make me sound better, yeah. <laughs> well. I try not I to know. do that, but the urge is there. <laughs> Well, I mean, all that would involve doing would be just cutting out my responses and leaving... To my silly bullshit, yeah. And then leaving your silly bullshit open to the world. All that would be happening there was that it would reach the audience's ears uncontested yeah. and they would call it silly bullshit. Yeah. I am really the buffer here, yeah. Dave, that prevents you from getting all the angry emails. Exactly, yeah. Or for, for, or for you two, because they would go, why didn't Chris take him up on this? That's true, <laughs> yes. I can't believe you let Dave get yeah. away with that absolute yeah. horse that one time. I mean, to be fair, all the above would mostly be Joe. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, perhaps the most significant diary entry we've ever had on STCTP. On Tuesday, the 24th of February, 1998, I say, decided to do some sort of factual documentary type book or something about STC. <laughs> cool. There you go. 20, then, 20. 26 years to the day. Not six, because obviously six minus the five years we've nearly been doing this. So 21-ish. Years later, we finally, finally got round to it. <laughs> and then we decided to interrupt it with our old <laughs> There you go, with Diary Zone. Done. Sorry, Rick. I just feel like I've watched the whole season of, like, a teen soap. Yeah, yeah. It didn't used to be like this. <laughs> it's really only a development in the last year. It used to be about, like... Sweets and yeah. cartoons. Uh, yeah, it is very much growing up in miniature. Decap attack. Well, if ever there was a more appropriate title to follow on from that diary zone, <laughs> here we have Love is Blind, written and drawn by Nigel Kitching with letters by Ellie DeVille. After his latest violent prank fails to annoy Chuck in the slightest, Igor suspects something funny's going on. So he and Head follow Chuck to the library and discover he's in love with Dorothy, the nearsighted librarian. Not willing to let this nonsense stand, Igor fashions a pair of stronger glasses for Dorothy out of some milk bottles and a coat hanger, and as soon as she gets a good look at Chuck, she screams the place down. The dejected Chuck returns to the castle and falls victim to Igor's newest prank, leading him to beat Igor within an inch of his life. So everything's back to normal. Just like Igor wanted? Let me check something here with you, Chris. Mm. Page one. Did you find this funny? Yes. <laughs> Did you find this funny before you read the last panel? Because I made my wheezy noises just when someone was getting bonked on the head with something. <laughs> no, it was the last panel that did it for me. <laughs> this is... We have identified the difference between us. Like, the key thing, haven't we? It's this. I yeah. I think someone getting you bonked on the end enjoy is an act funny. of violence. <laughs> yes. Acts of violence are funny to you. Whereas right. I need some kind of comedy follow-through yeah, at yeah. the other end. You need yeah. the sardonic Garfield remark at the end. No, no. For me, it was the way that Chuck's head has sunk down through his crotch and left a, yes. a, a cavernous emptiness in his body. <laughs> that is very good. Yes. I thought you said you loved surprises. That is, though, that is some Garfield-level humour that is, frankly, not necessary. Yet. Good, good, good. Okay. So, actually, we're kind of on the same page then, just slightly. We've just come... Yeah. Mm. 
Rick, tell us your feelings about Decap Attack. I'm just, I, I haven't read a lot of the Decap Attack stuff in quite a long time. Yeah. And I know it's probably because I've been reading a lot of Silver Age Marvel this week and not because of what we were talking about earlier with the New Tech City stuff. But this dynamic, I just see Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm with these two, was... especially with the spiky hair and the build. Like, especially later on when you see him in the library, he's like the big orange face and he's wearing the sweater and he's like in the library. It just strikes me <laughs> as Ben and Johnny just teasing each other. I have to be honest. Yes, the first thing I thought when the hammer came out of the package was Yancey Street Gang. Yeah. Uh, you've probably noticed, haven't you, boomers, that uh, better acknowledge it. Rick's mic fell down a hole around the start of the diary zone and he had to start using a worse one. It wasn't anybody's fault. Technology just happened. We all have to put up with that sometimes, don't we? It's a lovely dynamic between the two, especially given what little material there probably was to work with from the original game. Because we should say for the listeners at home that what happens is Igor brings a gift wrapped parcel in with the post. Yeah. Which is addressed to Chuck and a large hammer on an extending arm pops out of it. <laughs> and bonks Chuck on the head. That's the that's the violent prank in question. I do I, I do simple and basic and standard cartoon gag that it is. I love the idea that you could order that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I assume Chuck uh, that Igor rigged it up. In, oh, and brought it in with the post rather than he actually had it posted to. Chuck. Do you know what? <laughs> it never occurred to me that Igor could be so dishonest. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, when I turned the page, that we were doing a bonk on the head, change the personality story. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Because Igor admits to sending the parcel and is ready to have a fight with Chuck about it. You want to make something of it? And Chuck just tousles his hair and says, It was real funny, Igor, old pal, I like it all. But no, actually, it's that something has been going on in his life in the background, which mirrors art mirroring real life, doesn't it, here? Um, <laughs> yes. Because uh, Chuck has... Chuck has fallen in love with what is basically a drawing of a combination of me and Abby. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would. <clears throat> it's Velma, isn't it? It's Velma from Scooby Doo, is what it is. But <laughs> I, d- I didn't realise it until this very moment. But this is Valentine's Day content. Isn't it? I suppose I didn't really think of it myself, yeah. It's so strange, the the way that... This happens a lot with recent STC holiday-based issues. They won't mention what holiday it is, and then there'll just be a couple of little bits that you go like, oh, well, yeah, hang on. The weirdest <laughs> one is still to come. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is a lovey-dovey one. It is a lovey-dovey one. Uh, by the way, check out giving over an entire line to just the letter I in Igor's speech balloon there on page two. Yeah, Odd, odd bit of lettering there. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Last week when I stood on his toe, he tried to kill me. Yes, there's a whole... Because that's... They're not lettering with computers. Ellie's done that with her hands, probably. And it's it's, it's strange. Why would you do that? Odd choice. Don't know what's up with that. Really odd choice. Anyway, so what it is, is Chuck's been going to the library and... He is having... It's not just that he fancies the girl on the desk. No, she fancies him back. It is reciprocated. They're doing little nose scrunchies at each other. There's a little heart between them. You do the joke. Oh, it's obvious. That stupid grin. The ridiculous dazed expression. Indigestion. Lovely stuff. They get a DIY book to make a pair of glasses. Yeah, Igor responds to this with an immediate, how can I ruin this? How can I ruin this? Lol. So he goes to the DIY section and figures out how to attach big milk bottles to her glasses to make them a stronger prescription, because she obviously can't see. And he's right! It does make her fall out of love with Chuck. And she chases Chuck out of the library with a broom. And look at that amazing drawing of him all sad outside on page Fantastic. Just brilliant. Like, Nigel basically dials the detail slider down to absolute zero and just draws him as a big square with a little circle on it looking sad. (laughs) 
oh, so he goes home and he's 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 just heading in and he reaches out for the doorknob and it electrocutes him because Igor's set that up as well. Like, like this he's is wired it up to the means. This is really sad. Yeah, <laughs> and he's dancing a little jig with glee. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> Let me show you. And Igor realizes um, he may have misstepped here slightly. Chuck beats him near to death. And uh, Head makes a joke about him being too smart for his own good. Mm. Yeah, not not one that really there's anything I think we can say about. No, it's just a fun little time. It's just some yeah, uh, good little guy. I mean, I it really did make me laugh that Igor is like, he's just like a horrible prank guy now. And all yeah. he wants is to just ruin Chuck's day, no matter what. You know, the thing I think about Decap lately is... The kinds of stories it's telling are the kinds of stories that would be better suited to one or two page strips in, like, the Beano or something. Right. These don't really feel like five pages of real estate to reach these punchlines is the best use of the comics time. Yeah, well, we've been watching you sort of fall out of love with uh, Decap. I'm not falling out of love with Decap, it's just not telling big stories like it used to anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, look at that Christmas Carol one, which was a fantastically expansive, dense five-page story full of stuff. Whereas I can easily imagine this getting drilled down to a nine-panel grid and not losing much. Now, yes, this is one of the characteristics of the gag strip stories in STC, both these and the ones that Lou does, is that in another comic, even of this era, the panels would be much smaller. But in STC, (laughs) they're very big. (laughs) And that is kind of a key difference between them. It doesn't necessarily feel dragged out, of course. I'm not sitting there saying that. I'm just saying... No, I don't think so. If this is all that it has left... No. Maybe time to... Whereas I like it, and I I want more. I don't not like it, but (laughs) there's a threshold, you know. Next issue, Sonic stars in fan fiction. Oh, you'll like that, Chris. So I get enough of that on this show already. (laughs) But it's not a decap next issue. Also, I just find it very interesting that, obviously, academically, I know fan fiction has been around since at least with that term like since star trek in the 60s no i know but the idea that it's somehow hit the mainstream yeah. to be named as such in sonic the comic i know the fact that the likes of the editors of stc have heard this term no what it is yeah, yeah. that hits hard but just thought it was interesting that yeah reached that point you know where it had become mainstream known in the mainstream and i know exactly that. yeah that really i bumped into that wall as i was reading this myself yeah rick so do you have any great memories of decapitate it being the big non-sonic strip to last as long as it did it's it's the one other thing that most people remember about sonic the comic outside of the sonic stuff itself uh, what was your feelings of it back in the day and now i'm probably one of the few people who actually like played the game a fair bit I guess. So it was always kind of interesting to see what they did with the strip when you see what the game is like. You and Jack Lawrence. Yeah, I don't think we've... Well, I was going to say, I don't think we've met anyone who's played it, but apparently Jack Lawrence has, has he? I believe Jack Lawrence did, yeah. We had a rental store nearby that used to do... Like, they had this big red book full of screenshots, and you'd flip through the book and you'd look at the screenshots and decide, oh, is this look like the kind of thing you want to spend your weekend on? Oh, cool. (laughs) And Decap Attack just... Like, from the screenshots they had, even though it was black and white, almost low-saturated color <laughs> screenshots in, like, a terrible photocopied magazine thing, it just looked interesting. And we had no idea it was, like, a Halloween-y-themed game, but after, like, a rental, you'd be like, okay, 
next Halloween rolls around, let's get that one out again. That's like the creepy, kooky, scary one with the good theme too. Oh, I like that. You were actually waiting for Halloween to rent the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a couple, right? Like seeing what they did with the strip. The strip was always fun. It was always like completely differently autistic to what was usually going on in the rest of the strip. It was always something that stood out a bit, but there was nothing for me to like sort of grab onto in terms of like with Sonic, you've got all the books and the comics and the games and, you know, even if you don't know the, the general vibe of it, you can watch some of the cartoons that were going on. But with Decap Attack, I was like, is there a show? Like, am I missing something? Was it a bit trapdoor? Is it a little bit Transylvania Pet Shop? Like, where is this coming from? I felt like I was missing something. Well, you weren't. Like, it was good, but... Not only were you not missing something, you had more than we did. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny that you frame it that way, because I know know I've said in the past, probably been a long time since I've said it last, but I did play the game a bit too, renting it, same situation, I rented it a few times, but the game always sort of felt subordinate to the comic to me, because even the rather rubbish art and drawings of the characters that are in the game, they always felt like somebody, to me, they always felt like somebody badly adapted a Nigel Kitching drawing. Like, Nigel Kitching's drawings felt like the true forms of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember the first time I saw Eager in the game, I was like, he looks wrong. Mm. I think he was either too mean or it was too grim looking in the game. I was like, that's not what these guys are supposed to look like. This is too scary horror. It needs to be funnier. Like, why is the game wrong? Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely forgot, Chris, that you played it. I thought you didn't. A little bit. Because I never did. Not much. Not any. I think we rented it once or twice, maybe. You know? Okay, but I literally never did. And it was solely because I'd read the comic. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, I think most readers, maybe even Nigel, have forgotten that this was ever based on a game. Graphic <laughs> <laughs> Zone! Oh, don't make me do the Parker one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. This is a lovely, lovely graphic zone. Everybody's all smooching and all the hearts are coming out. And they're all pairing up. True love is the subtitle on this graphic zone. Yeah. And I just, I love to look at this. Yeah. And imagine in my mind how mad it would make people if somebody published this today. If IDW (laughs) did this today, it would make so many little people with barely developed brains so mad. And I would laugh and laugh and laugh. And by barely developed brains, what I mean is people below the age of 25, by the way, is what I meant. (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant fully grown people, but Sonic fans, though. Well, that's it. Hand in hand. (laughs) Right. Bang. We've got Jennifer Dean. She has sent in Sonic and Amy doing a kiss. Their lips are extended so that they can be drawn next to each other in the standard way rather than having sort of a simpsons extendo lip smoochy kiss i mean it's it's impossible to draw anyone hugging up against each other that's really hard so you just draw them next to each other and you extend the lips and that says kissed by a hog odd caption next to that holly faramond has drawn girl robotnik yep with big orange pigtails instead of a mustache which is you know not bad as conceptual artwork goes actually quite Um, clever yeah well yeah well done holly yep uh, it's identified in the caption as Robotnik's Valentine, mm. and it does say in a little speech bubble coming mm. from the girl Robotnik, she's nameless, from her mouth, hi, what's it say? Well, it says ho. It says ho Robotnik sweetie pie, yes. and they've spelled Robotnik wrong yeah, as well. Yes. And you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder, because it is, you gotta wonder. I think it's authentic, because firstly, she spells Robotnik wrong, right? I think they would do that. Yeah, but I could... To me, that's more evidence that Deborah Tate did it. <laughs> Second, I think it is the pen that the rest has been drawn with. Like, look at the yes, eyes. That's the thing. The pen line matches. Rick, narrate the next one. <laughs> the happy Valentine's from Catherine Burnett 
who drew a, a very nice picture of yeah. Tails in a female Tails. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. That's someone with some talent, that one, I thought. Yeah. It must be due to the quality of the version I have, but when I saw the heart balloons punctured by the arrows, it looked like they were bleeding, and I was like, oh, that's a bit <laughs> off-putting, but no, it's the inflatable balloon pushback. Yeah, th- exactly. This is, you can tell this is a cartoonist, because she's figured out that, yeah, you've got to draw little squidgy bits where the balloon is, like, being pushed in. Around the arrow, yeah. This is a good drawing, is it what is. this is. An almost Sailor Mooney. Yes, I was just thinking that. Girl Tales. It's the way that her top kind of comes to a heart in the middle. And she's got that little flop of hair over one of her eyes, yeah. like Fifi the Fume off of Tiny Toons. <laughs> in a rare moment of Diary Zone esque confession, mm. I had the mad horn for her when I was wee. <laughs> But so did Paul Dini, who wrote the show. So it's okay, I can admit that. Oh, right, okay. You just have to look at it and you know. Paul Dini was married to Fifi, it's canon. <laughs> one of the one of the end caps at the end of the episode says Paul Dini is secretly married to Fifi. Really? I fully admit it. I did not know that one. But what I remembered was when they did like a Justice League parody, Fifi was done up as Zatanna, and Paul Dini has the mad horn for Zatanna. So I just, it was like, all the points came together in my mind. That does not surprise me in the slightest. I feel like if I'm to find out who someone has the horn for, I don't Mm. want them to relay that information via the medium of Tiny Toon Adventures. Via the medium of writing the children's cartoons. You don't, do you? (laughs) No. And yet. There are some cartoons where I could understand it. Tiny Toons aren't one of them. And yet it Mm. is the one that I would most expect it to happen in. Mm. I mean, you get it a bit from Animaniacs, too. Yeah. No, but you've seen it, but that but, makes sense to me. That skew's a bit older. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense to me more. There was the one animation studio that just brought the horn to Tiny Toons sometimes. Mm, it mm. just happened. You could tell whenever the animators were just really into yeah. rendering that curve of fur on their chests. Cert- you know? Certain animators will have beaten the door down to get work on that particular cartoon, I think. It's not all they were beaten. <laughs> they True love! Mairead Brownie from County Wicklow in Republic of Ireland has sent in Sonic and Amy just getting straight up married to each other. Just they, getting married. They're, yeah, they're in a sort of a doorway. They've got, there's all confetti all over the ground. It says, true love. The love is a load of hearts. There's hearts everywhere. And the caption says, in your dreams, Amy. Oh my god. Can you imagine if an official Sonic magazine d- dared to make a statement like that today, I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Can you imagine if IDW took a piece of artwork sent in by somebody under the age of 25 of Sonic and Amy mm. going mm-hmm. and put a little caption on it that said, look at the loaded, look what, what nonsense is this? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, they wouldn't survive. Oh, that's the part you object to. The light making fun of the... Yeah. I thought you just meant the fact of, like, Son Amy, you know? Yes, but... It's the undermining of the child's drawing. If they published it without comment, yeah. they would be accused of promoting it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's you're, you're, you're damned mm-hmm. if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Fryer from Seton in Devon has also sent in a picture of Sonic and Amy getting married, which uh, STC have allowed to pass without comment. <laughs> yeah, so that's the canon one. <laughs> Off to the right there, uh, Helen Pierce from Quennington in Gloucestershire has sent in a picture of Tails and his foxy lady. And again, this is another good one, isn't it? Yeah, this is a nice one. Well, it is and it isn't, because it's weird, awkward, 
chubby, bug-eyed little version. I just of love Tails it. And a, and a, but it's very, very, very cute. Yeah, they're like Jimbo and the Jet Set versions of them, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they're standing in a Green Hill Zone landscape uh, where Tails gives this unnamed girl some flower. Well, what does he give her? Oh, some arrows. They look kind of like arrows, but maybe they're not meant to be. Uh, girl Tails says, Oh, Tails, they're lovely. And he says, I got them from the Hilltop Zone. So I wonder, are there maybe some plants in the Hilltop Zone that look like that? Because the fidelity to the uh, Green Hill Zone game design here is... It's fantastic, isn't it? There's so many details. Are we all pulling up a picture of the Hilltop Zone? I'm, I'm pulling up a... Yeah, that's what I was I'm pulling doing. up a full-on video. <laughs> there must still be a thing that fires arrows at you. That's not a Hilltop Zone thing, though. No, that's Aquatic Ruin. Yeah. Tallulah Snape. There's a name for you. Name, by the way. From Bisbury in Wiltshire has sent in. And by the way, we didn't say, but Holly Farramond is from Lee. Uh, Tallulah Snape has sent in. Um, well, it's the eternal question, isn't it? It's the question we've butted up against so many times on the show. Has she sent in yeah. a girl version of Porker? Yep. Or has she sent in Porker dressed as a girl? I mean... We'll never know. We'll simply never know. But not just a girl, like a flamenco girl, <laughs> right? Yes! Uh, one of them dancing ladies from one of them European places. Um, and she's got... Obviously, she's got a bow. Lipstick, bow, earrings, skirt. All of that. I think the earrings are part of the... Eyelashes. Yes. Another symptom of femininity. I think that the earrings connect with the dress here as part of the particular sort of woman that's being depicted here. I would agree. This is a swishy dressed, what is it, Spanish dancing lady that we're looking at here. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, it also looks like she's been referencing some old Richard Elson here too, because uh -huh. uh, Porker Scott is trotters. Or her trotters. Or her trotters. Her trotters. But the thing is, of course, because what else are you going to use for the castanets? <laughs> Clipping them together. <laughs> And the caption that uh, oh, yeah. that STC have placed upon it, <laughs> Dave spoke it aloud earlier, and I invite him now to invoke it once more. Look out, Porker! This bacon bell's a real sizzler. That's that's what a comment. That is just good copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's irrational, is what it is. It's like three. Th so for the last one, we have a picture from Laura Kincaid in Perth, Scotland, who has drawn Moraine and Tails exchanging gifts in front of the Tunnel of Love. Yes, the Tunnel of Love, the thing we're all familiar with without knowing what it was. <laughs> never having been on one, never having been entirely sure if such a thing was it existed real? in this country. We don't know. Was it real in any country? Still don't know. I'm just looking up the Willy Wonka scene with the boat ride, wondering if that counts. <laughs> well, Willy was certainly enjoying himself. There's no knowing where my hands are going. <laughs> Many readers probably puzzled as to who Moraine even is. Yep. It's been a hell-ass long time since Moraine was in the comic. That's Moraine Blackthorn from the Nameless Zone. Last scene. Let me see if I can put a number on this. In the Tales of Knuckles story that ran concurrently with the original Brotherhood of Metallics story. <laughs> so I want to say last scene sometime in the early 60s? You looked like you were looking it up there, Dave. Well, what I'm looking up is the actual real Tunnel of Love and what it was. Oh, okay. And you simply can't because both Bruce Springsteen and Dire Straits have done songs or albums called that. And there is nothing about there ever having been... Oh, no, 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 wait! 
a carnival dark ride for couples in boats. Oh, sure. Well, the idea that the, there is yeah. the concept of a ride exists. Sure, but I yes. want, I want the real. Here's what I want, Chris. Well, what you, Dave, what you have essentially tried to do is look up Ghost Train and find out where it started or who invented the concept of going in the dark and having things jump out at you. I think if I did that, there would be a history section and it would say some early known examples of that. But all we... Th- here's the thing, right? And you've nearly hit upon exactly what I'm interested in here. A carnival dark ride for couples in boats, either relaxing and romantic or spooky, encouraging the couple to cling to one another. This is my question, Chris. This is the start and the end of my question. Ah, there animatronics in a tunnel of love this is what i want to know (laughs) Um, and if so what you're in the high-end ones (laughs) yeah or is it just because i always imagined it was literally just a tunnel where nobody can see you oh that's what i I thought it was because neither of us have ever been maybe we should find one and go on it together dave and find out i don't think yes yeah see if the camera moves along the outside of it and by the end we're necking as we come out the other side yeah yeah Yeah. because that's what i know them from old cartoons where that happens people go in camera pans along they come out kissing that's what i know i don't what's in there I don't know. Well, if you can have any ride that involves getting on a boat, going through the dark, that may or may not be spooky, then isn't that just, it's a small world after all? Yeah. Was that a tunnel of love? Was that a tunnel of love? Yeah. It feels hard to get your horn on in It's a Small World. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Little children singing at you. Is that what you like, Dave? Is that what you're into? Speak for us both. (laughs) I think you want to maybe reconsider saying speak for yourself. They're They're children, are they? Uh, Well, they're tiny. They're little, they're little guys, yeah. Be that much. Yeah, but it's a small world after all. But Chris, I've been on the Smurf train ride, and <laughs> oh, you smurfed everywhere! I couldn't believe it. Is it me, or does this uh, tunnel of love cost a pound coin? <laughs> You're right, it does. <laughs> it says one pound, and oh, and you can even see. Oh, that's a boat, not a swan. It's a swan-shaped boat, presumably, with curtains that have got hearts and musical notes all over it. It, it laura's got a very clear idea of what a tunnel of love is yes well so do i it's it, it exists only in looney tunes <laughs> cartoons yeah <laughs> i don't know what they're like in real life no, or if they exist i don't know most explicit example i've ever heard of one is that defunct video about the garfield dark ride that everybody did the dirty in while they were going through it <laughs> does it go back to like this ride that people just decided that i was no here we go hang on a minute i've found something they didn't have a tunnel of love in crinkly bottom did they (laughs) (laughs) not that i remember the ride was very real a hundred years ago yeah that seems about right yeah the tunnel of love exploded in popularity in the early 20th century and after serving an important function for courting couples for several years... If you know what I mean! <laughs> it disappeared in what seemed like an instant. The same month hourly build hotels were invented. <laughs> that's not that's um, true. You're not really reading that sentence, That's are you? not what it says, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, it started in London. It originated as the Canals of Venice in London, but it took off in amusement park-obsessed United States. It followed a basic form of riders, climb into a small boat, and embark on a gentle ride through dark tunnels. The theme of the tunnels varied. Most early iterations had nothing to do with romance. It used to be called the Old Mill in America, so instead of hearts and Greek gods of love, passengers may have encountered fake rocks and stalactites, or murals of mythical creatures like leprechauns and gnomes. So it's just, it's just any... It's just Whoa. a... Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's the first, like, boat, it's a boat ride with, a, it's a dark ride, it's the first dark ride. A dark ride, yeah. There you go. Well, well there it's probably go. not, because people were probably going in tunnels and being spooked before they were going in tunnels and licking each other. 
probably. It speaks to a primal caveman-like fear of the dark. Yeah. You were spooked in the dark before you were doing other things there. And those cavemen, the stuff they got up to in their caves. Cavemen knew not shame. No. So they didn't have to wait for the dark to get up to that stuff. Must have been brilliant in their caves, mustn't it? They hadn't come up with any of the little embarrassments that we have as a society now. They were just cave guys. Hadn't invented Wi-Fi yet either. Oh, uh, forget it then. Swings and roundabouts. Forget it then. Just banging. That was all they did all the time. Who wants that? Well, I mean, you gotta... I mean... Root of All Evil, Part 2. Written by Lou Stringer, art by Carl Flint, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Tom Frame. As fast-growing vines continue to choke the Metropolis Zone, Techno traces them back to their point of origin, the Doom Seed, planted by the mysterious Agent X beneath Gilbert Grumpy's garden. Amy uses a bag of weed killer from Gilbert's shed to destroy... Gilbert's shed? What's that? That's a thing, isn't it? Uh, that shed. does sound like something now that you've said isn't that, it, yeah. Isn't that the Gilbert the Puppet TV show? Possibly. I hated him, though, so move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An awful little thing. Snotters and slabber everywhere. Oh, he was vile. Snotters and slabber? Yeah, those were his sidekicks. No. <laughs> <laughs> Amy uses a bag of weed killer from Gilbert's shed to destroy the Doom Seed. But Agent X teleports out before Sonic can apprehend him, leaving the heroes to ponder the mystery of his shadowy true identity. No. No. The mystery. So this is kind of a funny story. Funny odd. Not not funny haha. Mm -hmm. In that, it is principally about establishing the character of Agent X. Yeah. Even though he's not really in it. He's just, yeah. he's there in it exactly as much as he needs to be yeah. to set up the concept of this evil vine. Yeah. And then the story ends going, who was that masked man? And this will be a recurring thing that Lou returns to over the course of several more stories in, I think it's within 1998, I think the story rolls out over it. It's, it's another Metamorphia, another Brutus, another Vermin, it's another like medium-length, medium-term story that Lou's going to roll out over a couple of things. Now, we don't want to do any spoilers here, so we'll mm. say no more, but... It does leave us unable to truly analyse this two-parter in the moment. Yeah, those of you who know what's going on here are going, there's something Dave and Chris should really be talking about, this issue. Yes. And we kind of can't because we, we don't like doing spoilers. We can point it out in such a way and not tell you why. Yes. But it's just a full-on spoiler to say it otherwise, so mm. we'll have to come back to it down the line. Yeah. But the consequence then is that there's there's not much here. It's a you, you've seen this in Captain Planet. You've seen every average superhero cartoon of the eighties and nineties do an episode about an evil planet. Yeah. And that's this one. <laughs> they did this in Turtles, right? Wasn't this a Sarnoff? Almost definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this on the Late Show once. The invasion of the mean green giant killer Beanstalk. As the resident scouser, I have to point out the Beatles parody. <laughs> yeah, Stringer is seeking to fill out five pages in such a way that Fabian Vane just drops in for a page. Yeah, to just sing some Hey Jude at us. He's hired himself out as a croonogram for Valentine's Day, because yep. now suddenly... Valentine's Day! In part two, this has turned into a Valentine's Day-themed story <laughs> in the most tangential way possible. <laughs> so he sings a song to the tune of the Beatles. Well, it annoys me. Why? Because what he sings is, hey dude, yeah. I'll make it bad, yeah. I'll take a sad song for two red setters. And he's singing this song for two 
red setters on a date. That's not a bad pun. But then there's a little caption in the bottom that says, To the tune of the Beatles. Right. Hey, dude. This is my note here. Yeah, I hit that. I'm going to read this word for word. My note is, A real joke spoiler from Megadroid here. I yeah. hate joke spoiling. Anyone who gets it will already know. Anyone who doesn't, that won't help. Yeah, it won't make it any funnier to be told that. <laughs> yeah, it's actively bad. I agree completely. <laughs> Good. Shake hands on it. Yes. <laughs> Good game. See, not worrying about that absolutely killer the joke gave me time to appreciate the fact that the two red setters are eating out of dog bowls on the table. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Look at the uh, the wading bird in the background of the restaurant scene dipping its beak just very gingerly into the glass. Oh, yeah. That's just a good visual. That is good, yeah. But, you know, then, by the same token, Fabian's right hand is on backwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Oh, and look! Look, the dejected dog was gonna propose, and Fabian's ruined it. Oh yeah! Oh, I didn't. Yeah, there you go. Look again. at that! See, like, there's, there is a ring on the table that the dog is proffering, and she doesn't look very impressed. No, either that, or he's taken it off and is giving it back because this date is so bad. <laughs> Something's <laughs> going wrong here. <laughs> I quite liked the line. Oh, you must be new in town. We're used to the world going nuts. Oh yeah, that's when a sheep in a car is panicking about what's going on. Help! It's impossible! This can't be for real! You must be new in town, we're used to the world going nuts. I find myself asking Ian why this is a double Sonic strip. Because this is an Amy and Techno strip in which they team up with Sonic. In the same way that that story from a few issues ago was an Amy and Techno strip in which they teamed up with Short Fuse. And so on and so on. Oh, it's a Marvel team up. Yeah. The team-up does illustrate their different attitudes, mind you, Uh because Techno's examining the weeds, and she says to herself, these weeds probably originate from one seed. Bit of a reach, Bo. And Sonic's ready to come in and quip and go, stupid brainiac. And she's, save the biology lesson, Techno. And Amy goes, just listen to her, it's important. (laughs) (laughs) So they decide that they need to find the main route. Which is where it first appeared, Gilbert Grumpy's Garden. Gilbert Grumpy's Garden, yeah, and they go there. Good gag here. He's been trapped in his shed by the weeds, Mm -hmm. and he sticks his head up to the window, goes, Get out of my garden, flipping hedgehogs! (laughs) I didn't think of that. Yeah, that is good. It's a good gag. (laughs) And uh, and Sonic goes, Bet nobody sent him a Valentine's card. Valentine's, Valentine's. It's a Valentine's Day episode. Yeah. Um, So Sonic. uh, you know, tempted to leave him trapped in there, but he gets rid of all the vines just by sonicking around them. And I'll tell you what, I will say, we see a very prominent packet of something in the shed that draws the eye. I have to admit, no, I did not see it. Oh, I did. Didn't notice it right away. I loved it, the setup and payoff of the weed killer. We're going to find out in a minute that Amy took it with her from the shed. Yeah. Because it's a red and yellow striped packet, my, my eye zoomed to it, yeah. wondered what it was. No, quite right, it's my fault. I even reminisced about a time when old people did have unidentifiable packets of unlabeled stuff <laughs> in their shed. In the cupboard under the In sink. the cupboard under, yeah. <laughs> Techno whips out her tunneling machine. Remember this? No. It's the machine she used to drill in that issue. It's ages ago now. Mm-hmm. But the issue with the guys pretending to be aliens. No. Oh. Trying to dig up the treasure oh, out in yeah. the caves. And she 
had a boring machine with her that she was going to take rock samples. It doesn't look that boring to me. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> yeah. And it is 100% that device. I went and got the issue out, and Carl Flint has replicated it down to the precise detail of the buttons and keypads on the front of it. Oh, great. So that's nice. So they've done their drilling, and I love what happens now, which is that they appear in this underground cave where the root thing is, and there is this reveal of the hooded figure underground in the yeah. exact same split second as he goes, Ah, retreat! The heroes have found the Doom Seed! off like we see him there's not a moment for them to go yeah, one panel in fact yeah, yeah. there's nary a moment for them to go well, this is a bit weird we're under this guy's garden and there's a strange robed figure here and he's gone i'm off he's even got a payphone attached to the wall that he's calling <laughs> yeah what calling robotnik on <laughs> whoop hang on a minute zut, 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 zut. robotnik i'm off <laughs> and off he goes but even though he's left Teleporting away, it is his the figure fades out, a sonic hand passes through him yeah. and he threatens, We will meet again. The seeds are still there, so Amy launches the red and yellow striped packet we saw in Gilbert's shed at the vine, saying, Happy Valentine's Day, Doom Seed. She straps to her crossbow and fires it at it, and pff, that's it. And she says, It's a bag of weed killer she bought from Grumpy Shed. So it's not a big box of chewits then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like, a big chew it. Yeah, that's the colour. The packs of chew it used to be striking colours. I knew I had seen that combination of stripes before, and I've been trying to work out what it was. <laughs> chew it! Is that what it is? I feel as if there's another thing as well that's got like a red rectangle logo in the middle, maybe biscuits of some sort or something that look like this as was well. Was it drumsticks? Yeah, I mean, it's quite like a drumstick lolly. It's Tunnock's Caramel Wafer. Tunnock's caramel wafer sorry i've got i've lost my voice got a cold not massively dissimilar from a fruit salad yeah fruit salads are good of course you have to watch out now because half the time if you go to buy some fruit salads they're like a soft version now there's like a squid yeah well then you don't buy the bag that has in large font across the top softies yeah don't buy that version it's quite clear yeah but it's what i mean is it's more you you see them more often i find now than the real ones you're probably right you know i don't know when i would have last seen in just a simple bag of Fruit oh, a bag? Never. No, you have to get the little or a pack. Yes, I've got well, sticks of them. So many things are available now in bag format. Yeah, that you tend to see that more often than pack format. Mm. But I think, to be honest, at my age with my teeth, I'd go for the soft ones now. <laughs> I mean, well, you know me. I, I just squash them. You don't chew them. Nope, squash them to the roof of my mouth. Yeah, you just suck them. Leave them there. Yum yum. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you get a soft one or a hard one. No, it doesn't really, does it? Still, Thank tell God. that to my wife. <laughs> Very <laughs> <laughs> horny episode this <laughs> to the extent of Sonic the Hedgehog comic podcast. You know, I'm going to stop there because, <laughs> no, there is ample scope for a Sonic the Hedgehog comic podcast to be unbearably horny. <laughs> I bet and there you are. should all be very grateful yeah. that we're 40 and not 25. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore <laughs> incapable of such thoughts anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, we never had the mode, Sonic. No. That's what I'm saying. No. You have to be under the age of 40 to have ever entertained Sonic in that notion. Yeah, when they brought Sexy Sonic in in the, in the mid Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His name is Shadow the Hedgehog, <laughs> Dim. <laughs> and we end with the caption that says, The end! But the mystery of Agent X will be revealed in a future issue. Meanwhile, keep guessing, boomers! And yeah, it means if you didn't know 
that Agent X was going to become a thing. I don't feel like you'd come away from this two-part. Were it not for this final panel of Sonic mm. going, oh, you, oh, did you see that fella? Mm-hmm. Ooh, what, what was he all about? I yeah. don't feel like you'd come away from the issue thinking he was a whole big thing. Mm. But as to his true identity, there's a huge clue yes. in this two-part story. Yes, you can work it out just from the evidence given. Or can you? <laughs> well, no, I mean... Listen, we can't, we can't, we can't, we, we, can't, can we? we really can't. He's clearly the phantom blot from Mickey Mouse. Yes. <laughs> this is what we've no. been dancing around this whole time. He's the phantom blot. Yeah. This is simply a story that we will have to unpack after the fact when it's all over. And that's frustrating, but it is, yeah. it is the long and the short of it. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, you know, some of you know. Spoilers. First one here is called Pack It In, and uh, it comes from Robert Pews in Consett County, Durham. Square Clues. Who says, why have you moved speed lines from the back of STC to the other side of the center page pinup? When I put the pictures on my wall, I'm unable to read the speed lines. And Megadroids, rather than saying that's exactly how it should be, there's nothing else that you'd want on the back of the thing except the ads, and they're not going to be able to put all the ads there. Megadroid simply blames the humes. He says, oh, crumbs, Robert, it's those unreasonable humes again. That's always interesting, isn't it? When they don't go like, well, some people like it. They go, yeah, you're right, it's bad, and it's the humes' fault, and we're not going to change it. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) In the pink. Dear Megadroid, we all know how Sonic turned blue and got his spikes. I know what you mean there. But how did Amy turn pink and get her spikes, says Stephen Powell from Reading, Enamel Badge Prize winner. Uh, Actually, I don't... Yeah, I know what you mean with Sonic spikes, but I'm starting to think that he just does think that Sonic got spikes somehow, even though he's a hedgehog. Well, you know, he means got the streamlined... The particular hairdo that he has, yes. How did Amy get that hairdo, he's asking. Yeah. Um, a fair question. A fairly fair question. Well, uh, do your hair and just brush your spikes. Uh, a fairly fair question for anyone raised in the UK. Raised yeah. in the age and environment where they would consume the Kintobor origin story. Indeed. A fair, not a fair question to be posed today because Sonic's world is full of strangely coloured and shaped animals. But at this precise moment in time... No, actually, Knuckles has been introduced at this point, so probably not even a fair question to ask now. Well, how did he get his spikes? point, Amy was introduced. A fair question to ask. And uh, Megadroid's response is, could it be that an unimaginative Hume chose pink because she's a she? Oh, Deborah! Yeah, Deborah. You're absolutely correct. It's true. It's just an onion. It's, an- it's 100% why she's pink, yeah. That's why. And it, yeah. yes, it, it's a rare break of kayfabe, I feel. You know? It's happened at least once before. Yeah. I can't quite remember what it was, but I remember, yeah, yeah a question about girls or girls reading mm-hmm. SDC or something where, yes, kayfabe, and by the way, well done on using that term correctly since I know you <laughs> only you. learned it recently. Of <laughs> <laughs> a, a break of that by Deborah Tate to give a slightly ire-filled response directed at the original culprit. Mm. It's the fact that we don't have on record the original etymology of the word kayfabe. It annoys me. Yes, I... Do you think we'll get a letter a few issues down the line asking where Porker Lewis got those sick pythons from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, find out, Megadroid continues, in a future issue of STC. We've had that teased before, obviously. That must be imminent now at this point. The story of how Amy became pink. Yes, that is coming. Yeah. Although, that being said... I rather suspect that whenever they refer to it as like, oh, stay tuned, I don't think they know yet that they're doing it. It does make me wonder 
yeah. if maybe this letter mm, is what prompted yeah. the decision to to make the story because it's at least the second time someone's asked that i'm yeah. sure it was asked about before and they said oh stay tuned for the answers with no intention of anything yeah but no i feel like maybe lou stringer saw the letter maybe deb tate commissioned the yeah. story probably sick of these letters just from people asking either. how Amy turned pink and then the final point here is as for the spikes she'd be a strange hedgehog without them Stephen picking up on the same thing I did there so we get a letter called love match which says dear Megadroid I've been doing some thinking which is a first for me <laughs> hey. and I think Knuckles should have a girlfriend so I took the liberty of making her him one her name is Lindsay the Echidna and I've enclosed a picture of her from Raymond Lee in Croydon sorry now, before we get onto the answer, I just this is a small nitpick, but it yeah. says enamel badge prize winner under every single letter, and it also yep. says it in the top right of the page. Like, guys, yep. that's just padding. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why <laughs> they keep doing it. You know, I think I know. I think it's because you have to. It's it's like each child can see that printed under their name. It's like OBE, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Raymond Lee EBPW badge prize winner, yeah. And then you have to put it in the corner because then you'll know that the next people will get it. It wasn't just these kids who randomly have one. But yeah, it is a bit much, isn't it? Was every letter an enamel badge, or did they switch up what you got for getting a letter? Oh yeah, no, they're always times? yeah. They changed it a few times because I remember the water toy, the water fun <gasps> game, exactly. The water fun yeah. game was the big one everybody remembers. Mm. It's the big egg of the letters page. Water fun game, hog tags, and then a few other bits and bobs. But this enamel badge now is the last prize there will be before speed lines will ascend to the great mailbag in the sky. Mm. And then there is a response from Megadroid, which is that Raymond also enclosed lengthy notes on Lindsay's past. And <laughs> all I can say is watch out Knuckles. I'll bet he did. I get the feeling this guy wrote like a big, yeah. long biography. The word lengthy is a, you can hear the understatement oh, yeah. coming off that, can't you? Pages. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, par for the course today, you know? Yeah. You couldn't publish pictures like this in Sonic <laughs> Comics today because of the Pandora's box you'd be opening up. Yeah, legally they couldn't print it because it's Knuckles with different clothes on and that's illegal. <laughs> There is a picture of Lindsay the Echidna included here to the right, uh, which is, um, it, well, it's 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 Knuckles with different clothes on, isn't it? It's yep. Knuckles in a sort of a peach colour with the dreads tied up into a ponytail. But here's the thing, though. This is 1998. And if you look at the colour of that Echidna and then you realise that Sonic Adventure comes out next year... Oh, yes. God! Yes, she's the exact shade of, like, pinkish-orange that Tikal is. Yeah, so <laughs> I wonder if wow. Raymond had a little bit to say about his character being stolen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, in the same way that you take a blue hedgehog and make it pink to create a girl hedgehog, yeah. you do take the red echidna and just make it yeah, a lighter, yeah, yeah. sort of more pinkish shade to make the girl echidna. So, you know... The thing that fascinates me is this heart-shaped gemstone pendant yes. she's carrying, which I am 100% confident had a detailed backstory oh, yes. of its own covered in Raymond's notes. Oh, yes. That, that's the secret eighth Chaos Emerald. Yes, yeah. it's going to be something like that. Yeah. Or some unique gem of its own that will resonate with the emeralds or something, or she's the guardian of it, or her parents placed it around her neck whenever she... Yeah was orphaned and abandoned because there are no other echidnas and she's the only other survivor of the race with only this mysterious stone a link to their true history and so on and so forth. Raymond, 
if you are listening yes to this. yes yes <laughs> tell us what the story was send us the lengthy notes <laughs> i would love to know because as uh subscribers to our patreon know this was how i thought as well jams 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 <laughs> The last letter here is titled Bittersweet. It's from Adam Silas Jones in Ilkley, West Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. And he says, I think it's rather strange that when Sonic's in a good mood, he calls Tails Little Buddy. (laughs) And then at other times, he's rude and calls him Pixel Brain. And then sometimes I notice that my dad wears different clothes to the previous day. What is going on? Please explain. (laughs) If only fo- what an original observation, Adam. I bet nobody's ever thought about this before. <laughs> Sometimes Sonic is running very fast, but other times he's just standing still. What gives? Megadroid responds. If only folk could keep their cool like me, Adam. Unfortunately, Sonic can lash out at Tails when he's annoyed, but Sonic does appreciate how much of a good buddy he has in Aww. Tails. Aww. Even Megadroid there understanding the concept of context. <laughs> More than most people on Twitter do. <laughs> That's nearly the end of today's Speedlines, except we have one last drawing uh, drawn by Jake Briant from Dorking, Surrey. Aha! You live in Dorking, like a nerd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's a classic. It's gone a bit silly now, hasn't it, now, to be honest, <laughs> this episode. And it is a classic STC art send in because it is sonic as and this time he's as a flower and it says sonic in the spring zone because it's spring and he's growing out of the floor and the flower bit is sonic's head and he's looking really like annoyed and confused about it yeah he's not happy no but he's staring with an accusatory but also puzzled gaze at the sun as if to say why have you done this what for what is this for what's the purpose of my life here and the sun is just giving him this this odd little grin back, isn't he? He's just looking back at him. And yeah, there's something sinister about it's that. It's a little song. bit like, ah, <laughs> now you're here. The caption for that is, Sonic gets a premature spring in his step. I don't sure what... it's not quite spring. Oh, I see. It's February, but it'll be spring very soon. I see. That's exactly why. There you go. That is why. Dave, you tell me we have something in our mailbag this issue? Yes, we do. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. We have one letter in our mailbag this fortnight, and it's from uh, David Bulmer, and I found it in my my. box of stuff that I've been looking through. I'd offer to read it, obviously, but you have it there in your hand. (laughs) I have found a physical letter that I wrote to Megadroid. We don't know when, but judging by the, the handwriting, this is not now. This is earlier than now. I, I think this is going to be about 1990, late three, early four sort of Ooh, time. okay. This is brilliant content, I must say. I can't believe you find this. This is tremendous. Here we go. Hit me with it, Dave. Evidently. Uh, but now, the question we must ask ourselves is, why do I have it? Why, why didn't, didn't I send, send it, it in? in? For the same reason you didn't enter any contests. Yeah. That's the thing. Looping back to the top of the show. And he looped it down It was again. all well and good having intent, but follow through is the problem. Dear Megadroid, writes little David Bulmer, My lifelong ambition, sort of, is to collect everything there is with Sonic in. A difficult task seeing as I don't have a Sega, but an Amiga. Ah! Date information. Wow. It is... First uh, sentence. 
Couldn't even like get past the first <laughs> sentence before, before telling Megatroboy about how things were on, on the Amiga. Amiga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you've met me now. You know you've got my <laughs> you've got my number now. You've got the measure of me completely. But I make do. One of the ways is by collecting STC. I have every issue, including the small eight-page preview version. Mm. And then it says, and this is crossed out. Except for issue 33. Help! As it's not in the back issues section yet, this is a desperate, life-saving plea for freedom on Mobius. They let you in if you have every issue. If you do send it, I will pay within two months, or I'll try. Or you can do something really nasty to me, like hand me over to Robotnik. But I've crossed that out, so evidently I either found my copy of issue 33 or managed to get hold of one. Which one was 33? That's the first Knuckles. Really? What, like him yeah. appearing in the story or his the first... first part of Andrew Knuckles. I definitely had that. So I must yeah. have just lost it and must found have it lost again. lost it or something, yeah. If you don't print this, which I doubt you will, please reply by post. So oh, wow. <laughs> soon I will send you my Sonic books, which I haven't finished yet, but you'll be among the first to get copies. I have a huge Sonic collection. Figures. This is taking a turn, isn't it? This is taking a real preening, swaggering <laughs> sort of turn. <laughs> Badges and stickers from Crackers. Stay Sonic, annuals, brackets, yearbooks. Oh, plural. I've got two of those, apparently. LCD Sonic 1 and 2, three game books, 1, 2, and uh, the Sonic one. All poster mags, Robbie's lab book. Robbie. No, but no more Martin Adamses. So we're in 1993, I think. I've only got one Martin Adams. Well, no, because if you've got the two yearbooks, then it's got to be 94 at least. Oh, so I only had one Martin Adams for ages. Huh. Stationery, card game, and loads more. I reckon Richard Elson is Leonardo 2. He is ace. <laughs> <laughs> but and now a controversial f statement. Oh, and wow. oh, okay. But what happened to his drawings of Sonic in issue 35? They changed for the worst. Oh. Oh. Now we did the, we did notice a change. I very much think now that it was for the best, but apparently then... Yeah, I would I was agree, yeah. Down on it then. Still not bothered. PTO. Are you still reading? Wow, you must have a lot of patience. You see, I'm trying to get in the Mobius Book of Records for longest STC letter ever. Did I make it? No. <laughs> Speaking of pages of lengthy notes, eh? Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to see Cool Spot in an STC strip? Or Bubsy? Or Alex Kid? Or even, I know, Megadroid! Add that to the information, everybody, if you're trying to work out exactly when this letter falls, and somebody please do. That would put this in late 94, but before Christmas, then. At the latest, right? Because it could be earlier than that. It, uh, well, if you've got both yearbooks, that means it's 94. Ah. Ah. So it's somewhere between the release of that in 94, whenever <laughs> yeah. that was. We're narrowing it down. Well, unless... Well, we don't... I suppose we still don't exact... We think the yearbooks came out in 93 and 94, don't we? I am starting to be convinced that the first yearbook did come out before STC. Well, maybe before STC, but it can't have been that much more before because it had a picture of the sonic balloon from that ski event yeah. which took place in early 1993. Nice! Oh, sleuthing! We figured this all out before, I'm just remembering. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, first yearbook was 93, which means the second yearbook must have been 94. Oh, and of course, second yearbook used Adventures Robotnik, so it was yeah. the style guide had fully come in at that point, which hadn't happened to STC until early 94 as well. So yes, <laughs> so we are pre the Megadroid strip in the Christmas 1994 double-sized issue, but post the release of the second yearbook in 1994. So we can put that to probably yes. somewhere around third quarter 1994. Love this stuff. By the way, me and my friends think that Sega, or whoever, should make new edition crackers this year. Boy, you are fixated on those crackers. I still am, they're brilliant. And uh, rather than two figures each of Sonic, Tails and Robotnik, they should have one figure each of them. And also, one of Amy Rose, one of Metallics, one of Knuckles. Quite right too. One of the new cartoon Robotnik, one of Scratch, one of Grounder, etc. I think we've exceeded the number of crackers now. So one gets in a box, surely. <laughs> Whatever happened to Christmas crackers, eh? Why are they all so s***? Don't know. Do our mums just buy the cheap crap ones? <laughs> I don't want nail clippers. This year, or I should say last year, mm. nail clippers, Yeah. a set of cardboard dominoes, <laughs> a money clip, and the closest thing to a real cracker prize, some kind of linking rings puzzle, <laughs> which I couldn't figure out what the point of the puzzle was because the instructions that showed you how to do it were so useless that I didn't even understand what it was trying to explain for me to do. <laughs> what happened to Christmas crackers? Do they still make... Christmas crackers used to be like kinder eggs. Mm. You used to get some stuff in there yeah. you could have some fun with. Yeah. Maybe those still get made. I don't know anymore. I'm 40. I don't know. I don't have children. We need We need to go looking. We need to find out. I'll tell you what, though. Now, what Abby's mum has done, she'll get Fill em Yourself crackers. And she'll put some good stuff in there. She'll get little metal Disney figures. Metal. Heavy. Little Buzz Lightyear. Little Minnie Mouse. We've got them on the shelves now. Little heavy things they are. She puts them in them. Brilliant. What my mum gets is she gets gimmick Christmas crackers where they each have a little wind-up guy in and then you use the box as a track yes, and you race them. we had one of those one year. It was the best Christmas yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> in my adult life. <laughs> Rick, your favourite Christmas yeah. cracker prize that you <laughs> Rick, ever got. Crackers, please, Rick. Well, okay, easy. My favourite one was one year we had crackers that had little inflatables in them. So you could oh. get a little inflatable, like, not like a beach balloon, but like a little tiny ball and like a little tiny bat. Oh! So you could blow them up and they were only like tiny hand-sized things, but they were inflatable and that was the novelty. So you could pack them down into a cracker. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. That's brilliant. Perfect. That's what you'd be in all Christmas crackers now. Yeah. Why would I want a pair of nail clippers? <laughs> Every year there's a f pair of nail clippers. Your parents are getting the same little posh sets crackers. of screwdrivers. Yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're for your glasses. Well, the screwdrivers are to open the thing to put the batteries in whenever you get a gift that needs batteries. That's oh, true. they're very seasonally synced yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> oh, no, but imagine, imagine the child's wonderful Christmas who, bitterly disappointed that they can't play with one of the things they've got, then round the dinner table little set of screwdrivers we're on we can do it now well assuming there's batteries in the next cracker that's getting popped <laughs> but imagine getting a screwdriver in a kinder egg you'd start a riot <laughs> jesus could you imagine you know what would happen if that happened they'd ban kinder eggs in america is what would happen <laughs> <laughs> just go around school dismantling everything <laughs> that'd be brilliant <laughs> ah, i've got a screwdriver he's <laughs> got a little one of them one of the, one of the before electric where you push it in and it spun those ones. yeah just loosen everybody's chairs a little bit and just watch it go <laughs> 
Dave, finish your letter, for God's Back sake. to the letter. Yes, sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's a long one, isn't it? Long no, one. but I feel like that needed to be said. I want everyone yeah. to write in and tell us your Christmas yes! cracker horror stories. Well, and your favourite ones. Good, good ones, too. Yeah. But I would rather have everybody corroborate my statement that Christmas <laughs> crackers are bad now. <laughs> now, yet another question. In STPM1, where it told us everything about the TV series... There was a screenshot of series two. When is the second series coming to Britain? Date. Add that to the spreadsheet. And how long do we have to stay tuned to find out about Sonic the film? <laughs> oh, <laughs> nearly 30 years. Solid 25 years or so. <laughs> there is no way you'll find room to print this letter now. So please Correct. answer all my questions by post. <laughs> if you don't mind... Bye. <laughs> Not. Are you f- kidding? Page me? two. You are the worst <laughs> human being that ever lived. Sonic the letter sheet two. God, you think you're so f- funny, David? <laughs> <laughs> Sonic the letter sheet two, written ages after sheet one. Well, so update. <laughs> well, I've finished writing my first Sonic book now, which you'll get shortly. I've just read the box at the top of the STC letters page and found that you won't reply. <sighs> what if I enclose paper and a stamped addressed envelope? Will that change your mind? Anyway, series two is here, and I still have a question about it. Where's the Freedom Team? Oh my god. Where did they go? Obviously, the Freedom Fighters are in the cartoon, but uh, I'm referring to the ones from the prototype images. Yes, the Freedom Team, the early designs for super cool 90s versions of the Animal Friends developed during the making of the cartoon, Yes, which was abandoned as the production evolved. Which Dave is just fascinated with. Yeah, I still and am. will be for years. He no, will write fan fiction about them. He yeah. will draw pictures of them. Yeah. He will not let them go. Johnny Lightfoot putting on jeans and a jacket was all I needed in STC to be like, oh, that's like that. Okay. And then I moved on with my <laughs> life. I know I'm too late for the crackers idea, but it's good for next year. My Sonic book contains games one and two ending with the Sonic the Human cliffhanger. Oh, sorry. That R was because I had a lightning flash of understanding of what's going on there. I'm copying the Red Dwarf novels. The first Red Dwarf novels ends on the cliffhanger of them entering better than life and mm -hmm. appearing that that's it. That's that's how it ends. And then the second book, of course, better than life. Yeah. Resolves that. So I've done that here. I've, I've identified where would be like a cliffhanger place to stop the story for book one. Ah, oh, don't hate that as an idea. Anyway, it mainly contains my own stories. Here are some pictures from it to get you interested. We can see some pictures uh, of some of the stories that will take place. So what have we got first? Ah, yes. Ah, ah, I know exactly what this is. Can you pass this picture at all, Chris? Well, it looks like Tails yep. standing in front of Robotnik mm -hmm. uh, as Sonic melts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been alluded to in End of Mobius. Sonic comes running in and Robotnik goes, you're standing on an acid laser area. Area. The area. worst possible word it could have been. Acid like. laser area. <laughs> That's where I keep my acids and lasers. <laughs> uh, another picture here. <laughs> Evidently, there's a chapter where Robotnik goes silly looking. <laughs> yep, that's, yep. Big hands, big nose. Then there is this one here. Browns. No, wait, that's the Freedom Fighter. Can't, wait. 
Well, it's one of two things. Yeah. It's either it's, brown sonic. It's both of those things, Chris. Oh, two things of what? Well, it looks sort of like brown pre-Super Speed Sonic, but it's also very much copied from the generic freedom fighter crowd filler character from the second series mm -hmm. cartoon, Satayam, ABC cartoon, which was singled out in the collection of images shown in Sonic the Poster Mag right. number one. And I decided that that was the original design for Sonic, and I don't know if this is going to work or not. Let's see how the focus gets on. And his name is, this will mean nothing to anybody who hasn't watched the Patreons, but he's named him Speedy, which is the name Dave gave to Sonic from before he changed his name to Sonic in the Secrets of Mobius yeah, yeah. years hence mm. from when these drawings were done yeah evidently i'm just working on one timeline it's remarkable how consistent and persistent yeah. your fan lore mm. for sonic yeah. is and what it's focused this on this is what i'm finding out as i look through this box of old stuff actually yeah there's a lot of stuff that all lines up i used to say that of course the kintabor origin meant what it meant to you the same way it meant it to me because we grew up in the uk at a time when that was everything and yeah. it was reflected in everything you're about to take that back but no, in fact, we are not the same. <laughs> no. And the final picture illustrating a chapter from the book is uh, just Sonic hanging out with a load of my characters that are going into Demon Tomato. So I guess there was a bit about that. And is that the end of the letter or oh, is there no. a third sheet or an off? No, no, no. Oh, there's a, there's a little bit left at the top of this sheet. Well, I hoped you liked the pictures. I love Sonic stuff so much that I've made up a new friend is the bat. Yes, we have heard of Ears the Bat before, and there he is. A very nice-looking little Sonic character he is, too. Mm. He met Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles one day, and he went off with Knuckles on a mission and met a frog called Hop. I don't know if we know Hop. Hop opted out because of Ears' eating diet. Later, though, they met up with Hop again. And there the letter peters out. <laughs> what was that? When you do the edit of that, can you play Eminem's Dear Stan's instrumental in the background? Because the whole time you were reading that out. Yes, I can. It's a deal. The whole time you were reading that out, that's all I could hear. Dear Megadrive. The patter, it was great. I invented a character for you. I've enclosed the central dress envelope. Why haven't you replied to any of my letters? <laughs> And that Jesus is from Christ. David Bulmer from Leicestershire. So illuminating, though. <laughs> Genuinely. Uh -huh. I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. It's the same with listeners. If you're not members of our Discord, you won't mm. have seen the images Dave's been posting mm. there of all these old drawings he's found it while going through this box. But it is so illustrative of things that we have discussed on yeah. this podcast and how they expanded out like beyond the confines even of what we've talked about of the very specific niche narrow spectrum of aspects of sonic that they have latched onto as the most important ones to him yeah. and it's yes one screenshot of a of production artwork mm -hmm. of a cartoon that didn't get made in it that it was form. just such a good drawing i just loved what they'd done to the style of sonic and it never happened right next issue uh, which is a half-page next issue segment here on the inside back cover, sitting above another one of these Fox Kids ads. Mm. And it's another ad for Casper. I'm more satisfied with the drawing this time. Yes, it's a little better. They're still doing that thing where the advert poses a question to you. Mm. Will Casper spook you at 4.30pm? Because the previous theme to these ads was, here's the question, well, you won't know the answer unless you watch Fox Kids. But, um... They've taken that aspect of the ad away now, so now it's just yeah. posed a question it doesn't answer. <laughs> Will Casper spook you at 4.30pm? Tune in or miss out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, we'll never know, and they're not interested in finding out. But next issue, Bouncy Bubble Trouble, though. Yes, Bouncy Bubble Trouble. Bubble, bubble, Sonic bubble. gets snared in fan friction. friction. Of course. So I wager is. the story is going to be called Fan Friction, friction. and they just typoed. Well, then that dep- like that's a joke on the phrase fan fiction. You're all supposed yes, all the readers so are meant that. to understand that there is a phrase fan fiction for that yes. to be a joke about. That's a, I mean, I remember in 1997 getting on the internet and ask people talking about fanfic and me going, what's fanfic? I remember that. So I obviously hadn't heard of it. Well, it's a year later now. Yeah, it is. Old hat now, isn't it? Year's a long time, even though it doesn't feel like it. No. Top stories. Sonic, who ordered chaos? Oh, I get it. Amy and Techno, the lump. Oh boy. Knuckles, Porker reveals all. Oh Just boy. a little a little tease to finish off this very steamy sexy horny episode. <laughs> and top features oh top features. Not just the features, Ooh. these are just the best ones. Wait till you see how many we get. Power pinup. A great graphic zone. Mm-hmm. And searing speed lines. Okay, it's just the normal Ooh. stuff. They never mentioned speed lines in the next issue page. Oof. They were really reaching. It's going to be a content light <laughs> issue next issue. <laughs> next issue being STC number 124 on sale Wednesday, the 25th of February. Still priced £1.25, oh, yeah. to be fair to them. <laughs> well, it should be a bit lower if he's got that little content. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that'll do for that. Rick, how'd you find this issue then? Uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> it, it feels like so long ago since I read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like four and a half hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the artwork in the early stuff is great. Like the Porco Lewis stuff was always fun, even though I don't remember a whole bunch of it. Yeah. Anytime there's an Amy and Techno story, it's good. I was a little disappointed that we were Sonic only stuff this issue. I know that's the way it goes this far down, but you know, I'm yeah. still in the early episodes of the podcast where you guys are talking uh, about like Streets of Rage it, and yeah. Kid Chameleon. The good old days. The good old days. I'm still waiting for a Kid Chameleon finale. That story ended on a cliffhanger. Where is it? Ooh, don't <laughs> get me started. Ooh. Get me started. We'll be here for another four and a half hours. <laughs> Fingers crossed we're getting the sequel to that game eventually. We're getting a uh, new Shinobi and a new Streets of Rage and a new yeah. something else. So. Yeah, gosh, yeah, I never thought. Could you imagine? Well, I don't really care about the game. I want STC to come back and publish a six-part finale, please. Mm. And thank you. <laughs> I need closure. What happens to Wildside? Yeah. But yeah, it's always a good time. I was a big fan of this. I mean, I stuck through it till the end, so it must have kept me going for a reason. Mm. Like, I definitely remember a very sad day of seeing it in the newsagents and just opening it and going, every single thing in here is a reprint. I guess yeah. I'm done. I'm just yeah. putting it back. Yeah. And I was like, heartbroken. Yeah. I don't know if they gave advance notice that that's how it was going to go, but I remember it being more and more reprints each time and then eventually mm. just getting to the point and going, well, I'm okay, there's one original story, I guess, you know, I'll keep picking that up. And then it was just covers. And I was like, guys, like, yeah. it's a new audience now. You're looking for people who didn't buy all the old ones. So you don't need me to keep buying the new ones because it's all the old ones again. Yeah. And they didn't capture them because then the comic was cancelled. Yeah, that was that. It does make you wonder if they just kept you'd going. You'd love a peep into the alternate universe mm-hmm. if they just kept making original stuff. Yeah. Where would we have been? Yeah. Would it have been able to continue supporting that much original stuff? Was there enough content left in the world of Sonic at that point in time to justify an all-Sonic comic? I think if Archie could manage to just 
keep going well, forever. It, you know? mm. But when it, with Archie, when you're telling one story a month versus telling eight strips mm. a month, the way STC was, these are the questions, you know? Yeah. If only they'd got the license to Tomb Raider. How many more years might we have had, like... That might have actually took off. But that feels like something that would be so much more at home in the early years of SDC. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine a Tomb Raider strip working where the comic's art style, the way it was targeting its audience, the mindset that went into creating for the comic. You know? 100%. I'm talking about, yeah, a, a return to the olden days and having Tomb Raider and, like, that's that's what that's what I fantasize about is having old STC Lara come Croft. back. You know? I mean STC coming back <laughs> the way it used to be. And... <laughs> but if you want a bizarre piece of news, I don't know if you guys have heard so far. Sega just uh, did a bunch of copyright renewals, oh. and one of the ones they went in for was Eternal Champions. Oh, I think I did hear <laughs> that. Yeah. So I don't know if we're getting a new game. I mean, it's likely we're going to get a new game, but it's it's interesting that a lot of the stuff they went with first was all the Japanese originated franchises, and then mm. they're slowly branching out to the Western stuff. Because mm. from what I remember, oh, yeah. they didn't like Eternal Champions over there at all because no. it was competing with Virtual Fighter. That's so right, they kind yeah. of low key buried it. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. So I'm wondering now. Oh, if, yeah. That's why I'm really hoping the new Shinobi does good because it's like yeah. you did Streets of Rage, you're going to do Shinobi. I guarantee you that company is dying to do either Kid Chameleon or comic zone i know for a fact because one of the lead designers on that like uh ben fike or fique i've mangled the pronunciation but he did kid chameleon concept art years ago and it looks really good this was i think before they got picked up to do Streets oh of not rage. for the original you mean for a sequel pitch yeah yeah if you've seen the streets of rage 4 art style when they did wonder boy dragon's trap I, it was before that so they mm. basically did in that style he did a kid chameleon like mock-up of what it would look like as a 2d hand-drawn painted game so it's like, I reckon that's what he would have pitched to Sega first, and they would have gone, no, take something like Streets of Rage, and if you can make that big, then maybe we'll let you play with something else, and played it safe with a bigger franchise. When you're looking for Next Issue, you will be able to find it most places good podcasts are available, but you can also download it directly from our website at stctp.zone. You can follow the podcast over on the socials. We're at Sonic Podcast on the socials. Look for us there. But we are both on them as well ourselves. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. I am at Chris McFeely. And Rick, where can folks find you? I'm at Rick Draws, R-I-K-D-R-A-W-S, on pretty much any social site. If you search that, you'll find me somewhere. And uh, what are you working on at the moment? Where can the folk uh, find your work? So at the moment, I think by the time this goes out, we should be midway into the Fang the Hunter mini series so that will be the most current thing that i'm working on at the minute i'm just about to start issue four next week uh, which i will be listening to this very podcast while i'm working on yeah so if all goes well then uh, yeah the first issue of that should be out by the time you are all listening to this you can support this podcast on patreon why would you do that well number one because with grown-ups we have to like we have to justify making this so if we're going to finish the series there has to be some money coming but two you'll get big rewards oh big big rewards oh the lovely rewards oh they're so big oh they're so big and steamy these rewards i don't like the tone this you'll get a load of videos the dry ice thing for the box in the beginning and using the word steamy instead it set this whole tone this is gonna be the episode where people are gonna go oh no it's that episode when they're listening to the podcast like it's been bothering me the whole time that the refrigeration unit wouldn't have steam in it it would be like a cooling dry ice i thought that i thought that at the top of the show but i didn't want to say i didn't want to talk Uh. about myself 
to like ramble and cut back and say it. So I just let it slide. And then it kept coming back as a runner. And I thought, okay, let the runner go for the sake of being a runner. But it's, it's bothered me the whole time. <laughs> <sighs> We've been making videos, right, for ages now. And you get to just watch them all. They're all still there. In these videos, we review chapter by chapter all the Martin Adams Sonic novels that came out in the early days of STC. We interviewed the writer of Sonic in the Fourth Dimension, Martin Adams himself, real name James Wallace. That's on there, you can watch that. And I am subjected chapter by chapter to, it's come up quite a few times in the course of this episode, Dave's dreadful old fanfic. Yay! The end of Mobius. Stop it. And I'm the so secrets tired. of Mobius. I read it out to Chris. And Chris just has to live through that. And you can go and watch that happen. It's loads of fun. No, it's loads of fun. You can, go, you can actually do live streams as well. So if you're on the Patreon, yeah. you can come and like heckle it in live. In live time. Live time. Can you imagine that? The Martin Adams books are complete, but that endeavor oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. is still ongoing. Still ongoing. Live streams every month. Yep. So come and see all of that over at patreon.com forward slash STCTP. See you there. You will be our special friends. Our other special friends are Sonic the Comic the Band. Yep. Who produced the theme song for our show named Synchronize. And also me. I'm Falero and I did that intro from the start that was nigh indistinguishable from the real thing, I'm sure. You might know me from my animation work in the Sonic shorts from 15 plus years ago where I had Knuckles sing at Sonic that one time. Or maybe you didn't. It doesn't really matter. But you can find me in another podcast featuring people people who also contributed to those shorts. It's called The Hill Is Always Greener, and okay, well, it's me and three Americans, but don't let that put you off. They're, they like STC, so it's fine. But yeah, it's about a bunch of old men struggling to adjust to the passage of time, and how Sonic and the people who enjoy it are different now. So, you know, not too dissimilar from this one, uh, but we cover all sorts of Sonic topics. Maybe you'll like it. Oh, Dave was on it once, and we taught him lots of real facts about Sonic. <laughs> anyway, yeah, go check out The Hill Is Always Greener for more of me, if that's what you're into. Zibbly D! <laughs> We'd like to say thank you to Rick one more time for joining us for this episode it has been an absolute pleasure lovely talking to you guys hope to see you again soon well we'll, we'll see all of you again next, next time, time.